This is the multi-voice text-to-speech podfic reading of Hope's Cottage by the Hole of the Moon, composed by Burning Aurora. Chapter 1 Albus Dumbledore cleared his throat softly. The Minister of Magic and members of the Wazengamart will be arriving momentarily to witness Alastair Moody's interrogation of Mr. Pettigrew with Versiasarum. I must join these events. Sirius. Sirius Black only turned slightly in his chair toward Dumbledore's direction, his eyes not leaving Remus Lupin's face, who sat in a chair on the opposite end of the desk. I will tell them that you are in the safe custody of our excellent defense against the Dark Arts Professor until they are assuaged of any doubt to your innocence. But after we have dealt with Mr. Pettigrew, there will be much to discuss from you. Memories to gather concerning the secret keeper swap, beginning the remittance process. Things of that nature. For now, rest here, and I will see you both in a few hours, I presume. Albus Dumbledore gave them a sage but kind smile and a nod in farewell, before stepping out from behind his desk and walking briskly to his office door. It closed with a soft click behind him. In the silence that followed, Fox the Phoenix shifted on his perch, and the logs in the fireplace crackled. Remus Lupin cleared his throat. Sirius. He swallowed. I. Sirius's voice was harsher, still a growl. No, Remus. His face contorted slightly in a grimace of pain. I need to tell you. I've thought so long about telling you, I'm so sorry. I. Thought you were the spy. It was you. I doubted you. Remus's fists were clenched in his lap, the scars on his knuckles clearly visible. Sirius was staring at him with unblinking eyes over large in his skeletal starved face. I thought. Sometimes. That being in. Azkaban. Having you think that I betrayed them. Was what I deserved. For doubting you. Remus's breath hitched in his throat. Sirius, you never deserve. I believed the story. I believed it was you and you had killed Peter. I should have known. I should have fought for your innocence. But I believed it. You had reason. You thought I was the secret keeper. I had no reason. No reason to doubt you. There were tears running down Sirius's grimy face, leaving clear tracks. His claw-like hands were twitching, interlocking his fingers and back again in a gesture Remus had never seen Sirius do before. His bones cracked, but despite his aches, Remus crossed the space between them with werewolf agility, crouching before Sirius's chair, two hands with deft fingers cupping Sirius's face, the cheekbones and jawbones so pronounced, Remus had to consciously remind himself to be gentle. Sirius, Remus Lupin whispered, looking up at the other man's face, rubbing his thumbs under Sirius's still wide eyes to stop the flow of tears. I missed you so much, Remus told him. Sirius's face crumpled and he fell upon Remus, his bone-thin arms wrapping around Remus's shoulders, his head falling on the crook of his neck. Remus did the same, holding Sirius to him as if he were about to collapse. He could feel Sirius's ribs, smell the forbidden forest on his tattered prisoner's rags and in his tangled black locks. I never stopped loving you, Remus told him. It cost him nothing to admit this. There was no anger, no sense of betrayal. Maybe if the Remus of before Halloween night of 1981 had found out Sirius thought he was the spy, there would have been fury and heartbreak. But then there had been October 31st, 1981, and all of Remus's life had been one of listless pain. Oh, so much pain. He had lost so much of himself, 
for so long, and resigned himself to the fact that it would always be so, that he would always have to exist without so much of his soul. But he didn't have to, not anymore. Sirius sighed and pressed his cheek tighter into Remus's neck. I love you, he croaked. Please, forgive me. Remus pulled back a little so he could look closely into Sirius's face. Forgiven. Eventually, their worn old before their time bodies began to shake with exhaustion, and Remus pulled Sirius off the hard wooden chair and led them both toward the fireplace. With a shaking hand, he waved his wand and transfigured one of the chairs into a small but plush love seat. It was all he could manage, though he would have liked to cast a warming charm still. They sat side by side, knobby knees knocking together under Sirius's rags and Remus's tattered robes, their temples pressed against each other, staring at how the firelight reflected in the other's eyes. Remus took Sirius's clawed fingers into his own, scarred but deft, and began to massage Sirius's knuckles, his palm, his wrists. Sirius sighed, his eyes drooping every few moments before he popped them open wide again. You should sleep, Remus whispered. It's all right. Sirius shook his head but his body betrayed him. He slumped further against Remus, and within seconds he was deeply asleep. Remus massaged his hands a while longer, until finally they relaxed in Sirius's lap, fingers loose and long once more. He reached his long arms around Sirius's shoulders and pulled him into his chest. And then, Remus Lupin faded off into sleep. Mmm, Remus. Remus opened his eyes quickly, a sense of urgency overwhelming him briefly before he recognized Sirius's face, looking at him. Remus glanced around. Albus Dumbledore stood with his arms clasped carefully into a triangle by the fireplace. Beside him stood Cornelius Fudge, Minister of Magic, shifting awkwardly, glancing uncertainly at them both. Albus Dumbledore spoke gently. There is much to discuss. I am afraid the sooner, all the better. Sirius nodded and moved away from Remus, using the side of the conjured love seat to bring himself to standing. Remus followed suit, his legs shaking slightly. Remus, Dumbledore began but Remus shook his head. Please, headmaster, I'm all right. Cornelius Fudge's brows rose in confusion, but he said nothing. Sirius and Remus stood quietly as Dumbledore returned the love seat into a chair once more and guided it in the air back toward his desk, conjuring another so the minister, Sirius, and Remus could all sit. A steaming pot of tea appeared on the headmaster's desk. Sugar. Lemon. Milk. Dumbledore asked as they all sat. Milk and sugar. Cornelius Fudge replied as Dumbledore handed him a teacup and a saucer of sugar cubes and milk. Dumbledore handed a cup to Sirius next, who just stared at him. When the headmaster gave Remus his tea, Remus took the offered cup and saucer and prepared both he and Sirius's tea. Sirius liked it with a dash of milk, Remus remembered. The night's events were explained once more, as well as Sirius's illegal status as an animagus and Remus's condition. At the first mention of his lycanthropy the minister's eyes nearly popped out of their sockets. It's a full moon tonight, he blubbered in alarm. Sirius growled low in his throat but Dumbledore merely smiled serenely. Indeed it is, Cornelius. But as we are telling you, Mr. Lupin has been provided the Wolfsbane potion throughout this year. In fact, Dumbledore glanced to the window, where weak rays of sunlight were streaming into the office. 
Professor Snape will be up and about now, and I have informed him of his duty to brew the last batch in preparation for tonight. The conversation eventually returned to Peter, specifically, he and Sirius's respective trials. The legal procedure would make Sirius's trial first, and Peter's second so that Sirius could provide witness testimony. The Minister of Magic announced that Sirius's trial would begin almost immediately in order to provide proper justice. He did not mention his other obvious motivation, rushing to escape any potential political backlash from the manhunt for an innocent man. Until he is declared innocent by the jury, Mr. Black must remain under watch, Cornelius Fudge emphasized, with a slightly awkward and fearful glance at Sirius. Would Hogwarts suffice? Dumbledore asked pleasantly. Cornelius grunted, nodding. So long as he never leaves the premises, except for the trial, of course. Well, the term ends in three days, but I and a few other faculty and staff members remain here during the summer, Dumbledore told Fudge. Until Sirius is declared innocent, he will be under our watch. Dumbledore then collected memories from both Sirius and Remus to record the swapping of the secret keepers, the confrontation in the street when Peter escaped and framed Sirius and the events of the previous night. Satisfied, the Minister of Magic stood briskly. Well, this has all been illuminating. I expect to see Mr. Black of the Ministry for he and Pettigrew's respective trials. Dumbledore, always a unique pleasure. Dumbledore's eyes twinkled. The same, Cornelius. The Minister shook Sirius's hand, but noticeably did not shake Remus's. He had not even glanced in Remus's direction since finding out about his condition. With a parting nod, the Minister of Magic left the room. Dumbledore was looking at the two men with polite thoughtfulness. I personally had to ban the press from entering the grounds when the Minister arrived, he said, looking to Sirius. As long as you are at Hogwarts, you will be protected from their curiosity. Unfortunately, once the trial is over, I cannot offer such protection. I trust you have a safe place to go afterwards. Yes, he does, Remus answered quietly but firmly setting down his long-ago empty teacup. We'll both be returning to my cottage in Wales. I'll set up new wards, of course. Dumbledore smiled, his eyes twinkling. And will I be seeing you next term, Professor Lupin? Remus's mouth opened in poorly disguised shock. Headmaster. He exhaled and collected himself, bowing his head slightly. I owe you an apology. I am sorry I betrayed your trust, your generosity, as a student. I should have told you Sirius was an animagius. Dumbledore cleared his throat, and Remus glanced back up at him. If you had informed me, Remus, perhaps an innocent man would have been returned to Azkaban. I feel the theme of all that has transpired between the three of us present is forgiveness. Hogwarts will always welcome you. And I will always trust you. Remus's throat felt thick, he nodded his head and gathered himself before speaking. Thank you, Headmaster. I cannot say how much it means to me and I have enjoyed teaching tremendously. But Voldemort is out there, and Peter mentioned that he is not the only Death Eater to have escaped justice and begun searching for his master. I believe my place will be best served outside of Hogwarts, in the order, when the time comes for us to reconvene. Beside him, Sirius fidgeted and Remus reached a hand across the space to rest on his knee lightly. Dumbledore nodded gravely. Indeed. I fear that such a time may soon come. I trust one may count on both of your services when it does. Anything for Harry? Sirius growled in reply and Remus nodded in agreement. 
Dumbledore gave them each a nod in acknowledgement. Thank you both. On that note, I think it is best, serious, if we give Harry a bit of space with his friends for the next three days before the end of term. The rest of the student body is not so well informed as we are, I am afraid, so you must stay in Professor Lupin's quarters. But, perhaps Padfoot may make a few appearances, and certainly wish the boy farewell. I have no doubt once the trial is over there will be plenty of time for you to see after the boy. Remus watched Sirius's face. He went from steely-eyed indignation, to appeasement, and then to joy in a matter of seconds. You mean, I can, he can, we can. Sirius glanced from Dumbledore to Remus, stammering over his words, his whole face lighting up in a way that made him look young and heart-fillingly familiar to Remus. Yes, Dumbledore smiled. The boy is protected at his aunt and uncle's by Lily's blood sacrifice. Lily naming you as godfather is a sacred bond, and when the oath was made, as I'm sure you remember, you, James, and Lily all shook with slit palms. Therefore, some of her sacrifice is in your veins, as well as the godfather bond. I am quite certain wherever you call home, and therefore wherever Harry calls home, will be sufficiently protected. Sirius reached and grasped for Remus's hand, and Remus gripped it back. Dumbledore stood. Now, I believe rest, and a potion for Professor Lupin, are in order. I must ask that this evening, the wolf and the dog stay within Professor Lupin's quarters. Remus nodded soberly, but Sirius hadn't stopped smiling and was reflexively squeezing Remus's hand. Remus gave their hands a bit of a tug and pulled them both to standing. Of course, headmaster. We will be in touch, Albus Dumbledore said, crossing his desk and walking the two men toward the door, giving them a quick appraising look. Remus Lupin, a full head taller than Sirius and leaner, stood with his back straight despite the clear signs of the coming full moon, evident in his pale face and creaking bones. It had been many years since Albus Dumbledore had seen Remus when he had conscripted him for the data job, and at the meeting the headmaster had been saddened to see the toll the transformations had taken on Remus's body. He was only thirty-four years old, but his face was prematurely lined, and his brown hair streaked with gray, not to mention the scars which were visible on his face the one that slashed the underside of his jaw on the right side of his face. Dumbledore would never see the scars across Remus's arms, torso, and legs, but he knew they were there. Perhaps, Dumbledore wondered now, with Padfoot's return, the transformations would get easier. Sirius Black, shorter than Remus but with broader shoulders and aristocratic features, a sharp nose, cheekbones, and jaw which were all the starker with his malnutrition looked a ravaged shadow of his former self. His once glossy black hair was a bird's nest, and his eyes were sunken deep within their sockets. But he was smiling, nearly vibrating with energy, and his hand gripped Remus's strongly. Dumbledore believed wholeheartedly that if anyone could make a full recovery from imprisonment in Azkaban, it would be Sirius Black. Chapter 2 the Daily Prophet's front-page headline for June 7, 1994 was so long that the article itself did not start until right above the fold. Sirius Black wrongly accused, Peter Pettigrew, traitor and death eater, alive and in custody, exoneration trial for Black announced starting June 10, Pettigrew's trial to come. The formerly infamous now merely famous Sirius Black did not read the news that morning. He and Remus Lupin were fast asleep in Remus's room. Well. 
It was Padfoot and Remus sleeping. The great black dog curled nose to tail against Remus's back. As soon as they had entered Remus's room, Remus had lit the fireplace and drunk the wolf's bane potion waiting for him on his desk. Sirius had watched, fascinated. How does it work? He croaked. Remus set the still-steaming goblet back on the desk. I'll explain it before nightfall. We both need our rest. He went to sit on the edge of his bed, joints cracking, but he watched Sirius, standing and fidgeting, his fingers into claws again. Remus would massage them back, he thought. I'll do it every day, for as long as he needs. Are you all right? He asked Sirius quietly. Anything I can do. Sirius met his eyes balefully. I. I need to sleep as Padfoot, I think. Of course, Sirius. Remus assured him. Sirius exhaled heavily and then there in the room was a large but bony and haggard looking black dog. Remus bent to untie his laces and remove his shoes and outer robes as the dog climbed up on the bed. As Remus lifted the blankets and lay himself down, Padfoot nuzzled up against his back. He reached an arm and gently stroked the dog's forehead, a steady and smooth rhythm. The dog's deep breathing soon told him he was sleeping, and Remus removed his hand and faded off to sleep himself. Hermione Granger did in fact read the news that morning, and with all the exclamation and emphasis a headline entirely in capital letters required. June 10th. That's the day after term ends. The trial should only take a few days at most. Harry, that means. Only a few short days at the Dursleys. Harry Potter smiled brightly, pouring brown sugar into his porridge. Blimey, Harry, you're going to be moving in with Sirius Bloody Black, Ron said, shaking his head still in shock. He was propped up on pillows on a bed in the hospital wing, and Madame Pomfrey had allowed the trio to share breakfast. Where exactly will you be moving into though, Harry? Hermione asked, thoughtful. Sirius says he's still got inheritance money waiting for him in Gringotts. Reckon he'll find a decent place, Harry answered absently. The particularities didn't really interest him. He was leaving the Dursleys and moving in with his godfather. Hermione chewed her lip. It'll have to be properly protected. I mean Pettigrew did say there were other Death Eaters out there. Ron noisily swallowed his pumpkin juice and cut her off. Sure, sure, Hermione. But more importantly, reckon Madame Pomfrey will let me out for the feast tonight. Gryffindor will be winning the House Cup. Harry jumped on this new line of conversation, assuring Ron that he'd be able to attend the feast. Dumbledore will have to let you, he said. You were instrumental in capturing Pettigrew. Ron's cheeks blushed deep red. Well, he had been living as my pet rat. And that reminder was so ridiculous and strange, and a bit creepy if they were all being honest that Harry burst out laughing, and finally Hermione joined in. The trio spent the rest of breakfast exclaiming and laughing about all that the rat had seen during his tenure as scabbers with the Weasleys. Later that day, as Harry and Hermione were on their way to fetch Ron for the feast, Madame Pomfrey had declared him fit enough to attend so there was no need to plead upon Dumbledore. Hedwig swooped down the long corridor and landed abruptly on Harry's shoulder. Oh. Hi, Harry said, surprised. She never delivered mail to him at Hogwarts outside of breakfast in the Great Hall. He took the small envelope from her carefully and she hooted, rubbing his cheek happily before flying off, back to the Owery, 
Harry tore the envelope open quickly and showed the letter to Hermione so they could read it together. Harry, this is Professor Lupin writing. Sirius is with me, but it's been a while since he's used a pen and I'm afraid his handwriting is atrocious. Sirius will be staying in my quarters at Hogwarts until after the trial. I'm afraid until he's properly cleared, he'll only be able to appear as Padfoot, but it's a full moon tonight, so we will have to see you tomorrow. We'll talk more then. My regards to Ron and Hermione. Enjoy the feast. I think it was brilliant for Dumbledore to schedule it two days early. It's been a dreary year with the Dementors at Hogwarts, and you all deserve some cheer. RJL. I hope he'll be all right. Hermione said. The full moon, I mean. Harry smiled at her. Don't worry. He's got Padfoot and the Wolfsbane. Harry and Hermione walked on either side of Ron, still unsteady on his recently healed leg, into the Great Hall that evening. They all beamed at the scarlet and gold decorations and joined the uproarious Gryffindor table. Harry had feared, being back around the other students, that the conversation might turn to Sirius, but the house cup was a wonderful distraction and nobody mentioned the news throughout the meal. Mooney. Remus opened his eyes, the last pains of the transformation leaving his body with only dull aches and shakes, no more breaking bones and the horrible shrinking sensation of the wolf returning to a man. He was laying on the cold stone floor of his quarters, Sirius's head hovering above him. I'm all right, Remus mumbled, and reached with shaking arms for Sirius, who helped prop him up against his broad but still bony chest throwing a blanket over his naked body. You were there, in the wolf, it was you. Sirius croaked. You'll have to tell me what it was like. Remus smiled softly at him, his eyes drooping. I will, Sirius. Can you stand? Sirius asked, suddenly anxious. Remus nodded, and allowed Sirius to help him get to his feet, his whole body still racked with tremors. Sirius guided him to the bed and he fell upon it. You should eat, Sirius, Remus mumbled from the pillows. There's still stew on the desk left over from dinner. I'll eat when you do, Sirius said, and Remus felt the bed move as Sirius lay against him, wrapping another blanket around their bodies. All right, Remus murmured. Sirius's arm was now wrapped around Remus's waist, pulling the taller man into his chest. Being padfoot with Mooney, with this new Mooney, it helped. Sirius whispered by his ear. It really helped. I'm glad. Sleep, Mooney. There was no major news in the Daily Prophet on June 8th, just another article going more into depth about Sirius and Peter. But there was, however, other news that did get mentioned at dinner the day before the students left for the Hogwarts Express. Well, perhaps two bits of news. First, there was Professor Lupin's dog. Harry had been nearly bouncing on the bench at the Gryffindor table since he had basically dragged Hermione and Ron to dinner as early as possible, wanting to be there to watch the high table fill out. Professor Lupin was, unfortunately for the trio's punctuality, the last to arrive. He stepped out of the side door by the high table looking pale and exhausted, but better than he had any of the days he had shown up for class post-full moon that term. And there at his hip, was a great shaggy black dog, its fur looked brush and slightly healthier than the last time the trio had seen it in the shack. Whoa, he's got a dog! Seamus Finnegan cried from across the table. 
heads turned in Professor Lupin's direction, and Harry watched him place a hand on Padfoot's shoulders, leaning slightly on the dog, as he took the stairs to the high table. Once Professor Lupin was seated, he gave the dog a nod. Mouths opened in shock as the huge dog bounded off the dais and went straight to the Gryffindor table, straight to Harry. It wagged its tail and gave a doggy grin, nudging Harry's hand with his head. Harry scratched the dog behind the ears, smiling hugely. Hiya, Padfoot. The dog whined and looked up at Harry with huge eyes full of affection. How come he likes Harry so much? Dean Thomas said loudly from down the table. I'm great with dogs. Come here, boy. The dog ignored him, nuzzling Harry's hand again. Hey, Harry. Fred Weasley called. What gives? Is that Lupin's dog? Harry gave him a cheeky grin and opened his mouth to speak, but just then there was a collective gasp of shock coming from the Slytherin table. The second bit of news had been broken. Professor Snape was standing behind the table and gave a curt nod and a shrug to the students which were gathered around him, mouths open and eyes wide, before sweeping out of the great hall in his typically bat-like dramatic fashion. The appalled and pale-looking faces at the Slytherin table all turned their heads from where Professor Snape had just exited, to the high table. Beside him, Harry felt Padfoot stiffen and give a whine before darting back across the great hall, running up the steps and coming to Professor Lupin's side. Harry felt as if a stone had just dropped in his stomach. The murmurings at the Slytherin table were loud in the silent hall, every table now watching them in confusion. Finally, it was Pansy Parkinson who stood on unsteady legs, her face white and eyes wide, pointing a finger toward the high table. Werewolf! She cried. The Slytherin table rose in uproar. Harry saw Draco Malfoy's face among them contorted in disgust. The green-tied students were glaring toward the high table with a mix of fear and revulsion. Harry's eyes darted back to Professor Lupin, who sat straight-backed, his face smooth but his eyes weary. At his side, Harry saw Padfoot had bit down on his tattered robes and was attempting to get his attention, trying to pull him out of the Great Hall. The Great Hall was buzzing now. A werewolf, at Hogwarts. Did you see where Pansy was pointing? Did she mean not Professor Lupin? Hey, you three. You know who it is, don't you? Harry, Ron, and Hermione's silence had apparently become conspicuous. Harry turned to face Lavender Brown, who was staring at the three of them unabashedly. In turn, it seemed the entire Gryffindor table had turned to look at them. Um, Ron stammered. Does it matter? Harry said, glaring at anyone he could make eye contact with. Lavender opened her mouth but another voice called out over the cacophony. Silence, please. Albus Dumbledore said from where he had risen from his chair at the center of the high table. Everyone quieted, waiting in anticipation for the explanation. But there was the sound of another chair scraping back, and everyone, Dumbledore included, turned to watch Professor Remus Lupin rise on unsteady legs from the end of the high table. Beside him, the black dog whined. Thank you, Headmaster, Professor Lupin said, looking towards Dumbledore and bowing slightly. Slowly, but with shoulders high, he turned towards the four tables of students. His face was so pale that in the candlelight it made the faint lines and scars predominantly visible. I am a werewolf, Professor Lupin said. 
Harry Potter thought that he had never seen someone so brave or so strong in his entire life. The collective gasp was louder this time, seeing as it came from three tables instead of just one, but immediately Dumbledore had raised his arms, a stern look on his face, and the great hall hushed once more. Harry briefly glanced at the students' faces. Shock, horror, disgust, or just plain confusion, most likely from the Muggleborns, but then focused on Professor Lupin, who still stood resolutely, although Harry saw him bring a hand back onto Padfoot's shoulders and saw it was not just for comfort. Professor Lupin was putting real weight behind it. I am sure you all have many questions, Dumbledore said mildly. Your head of house will be happy to answer them. Now, I bade you all enjoy our last dinner of the year. Dumbledore did not sit, however, but walked briskly up the high table, Professor McGonagall at his heels, toward Professor Lupin. They spoke in a huddle, Professor Lupin still leaning on Padfoot. Blimey, a werewolf as our teacher, Cormac McLagan was saying. A dark creature teaching us defense against the dark arts. Oh, shut up, Cormac. The Gryffindors received another great shock that evening as they turned to stare open-mouthed at Neville Longbottom who was glaring daggers at Cormac. What, Longbottom? Cormac McLagan glared back. It's the truth. Neville's neck and cheeks were red but he persisted. He's Professor Lupin, not a dark creature. If all werewolves are bad, then all wizards are bad by the same logic. Hermione asserted angrily. It's a disease, it can't be helped. But we can help them. Harry was still watching the professor's huddle and he saw Professor Lupin move towards the side exit door. He can't leave. Not yet. Harry cried without a second thought, jumping to his feet. Professor Lupin. He shouted over the noise. Professor Lupin. The great hall shushed once more as everyone watched. Professor Lupin and Padfoot, almost at the door, turned towards Harry. You're the best defense against the dark arts professor we ever had. Harry Potter implored. Beside him, Hermione and Ron clamored to their feet, Hermione helping Neville clumsily stand down the Gryffindor table, students were rising to stand, Dean Thomas, Seamus Finnegan, Ginny Weasley, Parvati Patil, Angelina Johnson, Alicia Spinett, Katie Bell, Fred and George Weasley, Lee Jordan, and Oliver Wood. And it wasn't just the Gryffindor table. Hufflepuffs were jumping to their feet. Harry recognized the Hufflepuff Quidditch captain Cedric Diggory, as well as Justin Finch Fletchley, Ernie Macmillan, and Hannah Abbott. Ravenclaws were rising too, Anthony Goldstein, Padma Patil, and Cho Chan among them, as well as a white blonde haired girl with all sized blue eyes who caught Harry's attention out of the corner of his eye. Here, here for Professor Lupin, Lee Jordan shouted. The best Dada Professor Hogwarts has had in years. Hands slammed the wooden tables or clapped in applause, feet stamped the ground, and voices cried out in here, here for Professor Lupin and Harry watched as Professor Lupin bowed his head and brought his free hand up to his chest. When he lifted his brown hair streaked with gray head once more, his eyes were overbright and a soft smile was spread across his tired face. Chapter 3 The morning of the student's departure from Hogwarts Harry awoke to a letter on his bedside table. Harry, I am sorry we did not get a chance to speak with you yesterday. But considering, I had to make myself scarce. 
If you can, meet Padfoot and I in my office after breakfast. RJL. Chew and swallow, Harry. Hermione chastised him as he scoffed down eggs and toast at breakfast. Finished. Harry slammed down his fork. I'll see you both before the train, he said to Ron and Hermione, rising so fast he almost tripped on the bench and ran out of the great hall. Breathing heavily from running, Harry knocked on the door to Professor Lupin's office. Come in, Professor Lupin's voice called from within. Harry stepped in eagerly, glancing about to see Professor Lupin standing over a battered suitcase on his desk, waving his wand so items organized themselves in midair and went neatly into the suitcase. At his footsteps, Professor Lupin glanced up. He still looked peaky, but his face had some color, and his eyes were bright and warm. He waved his wand in the direction of the door. Alarm jinx, he said with a wink. Padfoot had been sitting beside the desk but within a moment Sirius straightened and stood, smiling hugely at Harry. Harry noticed that his hair had been washed and combed, though it was still overgrown and he was wearing what must be Professor Lupin's muggle clothes, an old black jumper and jeans that hung a bit too loose. Hi, Harry, Sirius said, his voice still croaked, but it was gentle and not urgent or anxious. He hurried forward and enveloped Harry in a hug. Hi, Sirius. Harry hugged him back. Getting ready for the trial. Sirius stepped back from him, keeping one hand on his shoulder. All sorted. Got a proper lawyer and everything. But you'll have to stay at Hogwarts until it's over. That's right, Sirius said. But then we'll pick you up straight away. Harry blinked. We. Remus and I, Sirius answered, turning to where Professor Lupin stood. Professor Lupin used his wand to close his fully packed suitcase with a click. All that remained on his desk now was the empty Grindelow tank. We'll be staying at my cottage in Wales. Professor Lupin said, watching Harry closely. Until Sirius can arrange another place. It's not much, but it's very safe, fully warded. Is that all right with you, Harry? Harry disguised his surprise at moving in also with his former professor, and gave him an easy grin. Course. And Harry. Professor Lupin's eyes seemed to soften and warm so that they reminded Harry of chocolate. What you said in the Great Hall last night, I want you to know that it meant a great deal to me. Thank you. It was true. And everyone else agrees. Besides you, saying that in front of everyone, that was the bravest thing I'd ever seen. Harry insisted. Beside him, Sirius moved forward and squeezed Professor Lupin's shoulder in what Harry assumed was brotherly affection. That's what I told him. Sirius said in a soft voice. It seemed so unlike Sirius from what briefly Harry had come to know of him that he blinked at his godfather again. There was faint pink on Professor Lupin's cheeks as he squared his shoulders. I have enjoyed very much being your professor, Harry. Once out of Hogwarts, I will be happy to teach you anything you wish to know. Well, within reason, but I suppose you have your godfather for the rest. Professor Lupin said with a wry smile at Sirius. Sirius barked a laugh. Too right. But Harry was staring at Professor Lupin in confusion. Wait, so you're really not coming back next year then? Professor Lupin shook his head. What? Just because everyone knows you're a, a werewolf? Harry hurried. Doesn't mean you shouldn't. Professor Lupin shook his head again, but was smiling softly as he cut Harry off. I made this decision before my condition, um, slipped out. 
We need Remus out in the world, Sirius said with a proud look on his face. He's the best duelist I know, and of course we all know he's the best at defense against the dark arts, he's always been cleverer than your father and I, though we were loath to admit it. Book smart, Professor Lupin murmured under his breath, staring at Sirius again with a wry smile and something almost, was it secretive? Harry wondered, in his eyes. Hush now, Remus. Sirius waved a hand, playfully dismissive. The adults are talking. Harry couldn't help but laugh at that and Sirius grinned wickedly, putting his hand back on Harry's shoulder and walking with him towards the office door. Right, Harry. Us proper adults know you mustn't be late for your train so we shan't keep you too long. Remus and I'll be in touch with you by Al, and we'll send word as soon as the trials ended about coming to get you out of that bloody wretched house. Harry beamed up at him. Sure. Sirius gave him another tight hug at the doorway and a huge smile that overwhelmed his still very thin face before suddenly there was something like an exhale of breath and Padfoot sat wagging his tail by the threshold. Harry scratched the dog behind the ears and opened the door, turning to look back at Professor Lupin. I'll see you, Professor Lupin, he said raising a hand. Professor Lupin smiled back at him, leaning with his hands on his desk. Please, Harry, he said gently. Call me Remus. As the door closed behind Harry and Remus waved the alarm jinx back into place, the black dog transformed back into a man. You are wonderful with him, Sirius, Remus said quietly, staring at the man who was walking towards him. You were like yourself again. Sirius was smiling almost dreamily. Harry makes it easy. And you? Remus smiled back and picked up his suitcase and the empty Grindelo tank staggering a bit with the weight. Sirius came to stand beside him, wrapping one arm around Remus's waist and taking the spare handle on the suitcase with the other so that they carried it together. Come, Mooney, you're knackered. Let's get some rest, I. June 13th found Harry Potter's nose and glasses pressed uncomfortably against the window of his near-empty bedroom, clutching the small letter delivered early that morning tightly in one hand. Harry. We'll be at 4 Privet Drive mid-morning. Serious. The handwriting was a nearly illegible scrawl but after a magnifying spell on his glasses that Hermione had shown him, Harry had been able to make it out. It was really happening. He was leaving the Dursleys. And moving in with his godfather. After a frenzied bit of last-minute packing that had consisted almost entirely of his toothbrush and his pajamas from the night before. Harry had not touched his trunk since he'd arrived at the Dursleys and as a consequence was entirely packed and ready to go, Harry had barely moved from his perch at the window. He decided to write to Ron and Hermione after arriving at Remus's cottage since he'd have more to tell first of all. But also if he sent Hedwig now, how would she know where to find him when she returned? Beside him, Hedwig hooted impatiently. I know, Harry sighed, fogging up the glass. I can't wait either. Do you reckon they'll be apparating? Or taking brooms? Or maybe? Just then, Harry heard the sound of a car engine, followed shortly by the sight of a Vauxhall Astra, its white paint faded and rusting in places, parking itself directly in front of Four Privet Drive. Harry didn't wait to see the wizards get out of the car. He was grabbing his trunk and Hedwig's cage and bolting for the stairs. Watch that racket. Vernon Dursley roared from the kitchen as Harry clambered down onto the ground floor. Hedwig, 
hooting discontentedly with his jostling. Sorry, sorry, they're here, Harry stammered, riding the cage just as the doorbell rang. Blasted freaks, Harry heard Vernon say hotly under his breath as he lumbered into the hall and grabbed for the door handle, yanking the door open. Harry's face felt like it would split from smiling so hard. Harry Potter's godfather, Sirius Black, was leaning casually against the doorframe with his hands in his pockets with a smile to match Harry's. He was wearing black leather boots and jeans, with a black leather jacket and a simple white t-shirt underneath. His hair was cut slightly shorter than when Harry had seen him last, and it looked even healthier, as black and glossy as the leather jacket. His face was healthier too. His skin was alabaster but filled out, the eyes were barely sunken now and his facial features slightly less sharp. He seemed broader about the shoulders. Standing erect beside him was Harry's former defense against the dark arts professor, Remus Lupin. He was just as lean and skinny as he had been at Hogwarts, his brown hair just as streaked with gray, but his lined and scarred face had color and his brown eyes shone like chocolate with their warmth. You must be the uncle, Sirius said casually sticking out his hand to shake Vernon's, who, seeming to be in shock, didn't have the presence of mind to refuse. I'm Harry's godfather, Sirius Black. And this is Harry's other uncle, not blood mind you, but nevertheless a more proper one you could say, Remus Lupin. Remus extended his hand toward Vernon, who now in less of a shock stared down at the scars visible across Remus's knuckles and wrist and growled under his breath distastefully, refusing to shake. Remus merely smiled politely at him and drew back his hand. We're here to bring Harry Potter home. Petunia and Vernon Dursley wanted that derelict Vauxhall Astro away from their house and out of view of their neighbors as fast as possible, so the departure took all of three minutes. Dudley was off being a menace, probably, so they were all saved from Petunia's hysterics if her duddykins had been present to see the no-good rebel-looking and no-good scarred-looking wizards. Vernon practically shoved Harry out of the door, huffing. Good riddance. Under his breath before slamming the door and audibly locking it. Sirius was still smiling from ear to ear as he gave Harry a hug and took his trunk from him, leading the way up the front garden to the parked car on the street. All right, Harry. He asked. Harry nodded eagerly. Yeah. Are we really driving? Sirius opened the car's boot and settled the trunk in before opening one of the back doors for Harry to climb in with Hedwig's cage. Remus answered Harry as he got into the driver's seat. The car's a gift from Moody, have you heard of him, Harry? He said, turning in his seat to look at Harry as Harry shook his head, clicking his seatbelt and then securing Hedwig. World-famous aura, he is, Sirius explained, now in the passenger seat and also turned to look at Harry. Wizard police basically he said at Harry's slightly confused expression. The car's warded about as well as my cottage, Remus said, turning back to start the car's engine, which protested twice before igniting. It's quite sturdy, although it doesn't look it. I've never been on a proper road trip before, Harry said, almost bouncing in his seat. Sirius winked at him, a mischievous glint in his dark eyes. Ah, well this here's a proper wizard road trip. We'll make the five-hour journey into three with Remus and I's tricks. Remus steered the car around the bend of Privet Drive, and then they were off. A wizard road trip with two former marauders meant speeding without a sidelong glance from muggle cars and policemen, 
jumping past cars as if they simply weren't there, and a whole lot of 1970s British rock and punk music playing over the stereo. Thank Merlin someone convinced Remus to get a CD collection. Sirius told Harry excitedly. He's a stickler for vinyl, he is. Vinyl is how Bowie was meant to be listened to, Remus said as the final bars of changes faded from the stereo. Sirius, sitting sideways in his seat so he could look easily between Harry and Remus, flashed Remus a grin and patted his knee playfully. Bowie was a futurist. I'm sure he predicted CDs and whatever else comes next. Who was it, by the way? Who was what? Remus asked. Harry saw through the rearview mirror that he had raised an eyebrow. Who convinced you to get CDs? Sirius asked. It seemed a rather mundane question to Harry, but Sirius asked it like it really mattered. There was something almost, was it accusatory, in his voice. A former co-worker of mine, Remus answered lightly. I had a brief job at a music shop about five years ago. Sirius seemed unsatisfied with this, and opened his mouth to speak but Remus beat him to it. Are you hungry, Harry? I thought we could stop for lunch soon. Harry realized that he was. Yeah, lunch sounds great. How about you check the map, Sirius? Find us a good spot. Remus asked, giving Sirius an easy smile. The next fifteen minutes were spent with Harry and Sirius looking over the road map, considering cafes and diners littered along their route until they found one with a promising name, Sian's Soups and Sandwiches. That was just up the road they were taking. Remus parked the car and Harry cracked a window for Hedwig before they hopped out and went into the cafe. Harry saw the hostess's eyes widen and cheeks turn red at the sight of Sirius. She barely managed a greeting before dazedly leading them to a booth in the back of the cafe, at Remus's request, and coincidentally she only gave them one menu, which she handed to Sirius without blinking. Sirius didn't seem to notice, he handed the menu immediately to Remus who sat beside him in the booth, and questioned Harry eagerly about muggle food. Remus glanced over the menu quickly and then handed it to Harry. Get whatever you want, Sirius told Harry. The waitress, it seemed, was just as taken with Sirius as the hostess. She came up to their booth with pupils over large in her bright blue eyes and had them determinately fixed on Harry's godfather, as she said. All right, there. What can I get for you today? Sirius just turned to Remus, and the waitress was forced to follow his gaze. He'll have the pastrami sandwich, and I'll have the tomato soup, Remus said politely before extending an arm instructively in Harry's direction. The waitress, even more reluctantly it seemed, turned to look at Harry. Ah, I'll have the pastrami too, Harry said, handing her back the menu. Harry was distracted by two things. First, what he was recognizing in the cafe's staff for the first time in his young adolescent life, and second, by the fact that Sirius deferred his order to Remus. Harry knew they were best friends of course, but still, he wouldn't trust Ron to know what to order for him at a wizard cafe. But then Sirius started asking Harry about Quidditch, and Harry's mind became fully occupied. Harry and Sirius talked about Quidditch the rest of the meal with Sirius turning to Remus excitedly with certain anecdotes, putting a hand on his knee or shoulder, and asking him. Wasn't that right? Or, remember the game when James did that flip over that Hufflepuff keeper, what was her name? Or, Slytherins always cheat, that should be their house motto, shouldn't it? 
Remus smiled serenely back and answered between tidy spoonfuls of his soup. That's right. Or, Thorn McFadden was her name. Or, if it isn't their official motto, it certainly is their de facto one. Knows nothing about Quidditch, he says. Sirius would say with a wry smile. Or, sat with his nose in a book in the stands but always had one eye and ear on every practice or game, I tell you. Harry couldn't believe his luck that he'd have lunches like this every day. Quidditch and Sirius and Remus, and stories about his parents. For the rest of the summer. After their lunch stop, the rest of the drive was largely through wide-open countryside, with only occasional dwellings or towns along the way. The hills were green and gaining in height, with patches of forest and glimpses of silver lakes. Hedwig hooted excitedly in her cage at the sight of all the open sky. Here we are, Harry, Remus said as the car made a turn off the farm road and went directly into a cluster of trees. What? Harry started to exclaim in confusion just as the trees seemed to evaporate around the car and instead, they were on a dirt drive, leading up to a two-story stone cottage at the foot of a hill. It was exactly like the magic that made Platform 9 and 3 quarters shielded from outside view. Remus stopped the car and the three of them, plus Harry carrying Hedwig's cage, climbed out. Harry stared at the gray stone, the faded red paint on the wood shutters on the sides of the windows the small stream that meandered around the back of the cottage, the overgrown garden. With the trial and all, I'm afraid I hadn't much time to get the cottage in proper order. No one was minding it for me while I was at Hogwarts. Remus was saying and Harry turned to him. It's brilliant, Harry insisted. It's really yours. Remus bowed his head slightly, his cheeks turning faint peach. It was my mother's. She left it to me. Come on, Harry. You've got to see your room, Sirius said, having taken Harry's trunk out of the boot and heading towards the front door. Your godfather was in charge of your bedroom, Remus said quietly beside Harry as they walked, his brown eyes twinkling. The front door opened into the living room, which had one worn but comfortable-looking sofa and two armchairs beside a fully stocked fireplace, and a whole wall that was just a bookshelf overflowing with books. Remus told Harry that the kitchen was in the back of the cottage, but Harry would get a proper tour once he'd seen his room and gotten settled. Sirius led them up the stairs and proudly swung open the door to Harry's room, which was on the right at the top. Harry's mouth fell open. He, Harry Potter, had a four-poster bed, just like the one he slept in in Gryffindor Tower, complete with scarlet and gold drapes and bedspread. His firebolt was propped up against a large mahogany desk which had a set of brand new quills and ink, and a bowl full of treats for Hedwig. The desk looked out over a huge rectangular window with a view of the green hill and forest beyond. The walls were painted scarlet with gold trim, but stood empty. Thought you'd like to hang your own posters and pictures and such, and if there's any ones you fancy, we can get them ordered straight away, just say the word. Sirius said as he set down Harry's trunk in front of the matching mahogany wardrobe. Harry still stood in the center of the room, mouth agape. Slowly, he turned to look at his godfather, rubbing his watery eyes in embarrassment. It's... Harry started. Sirius, thank you. Sirius gave him a one-armed hug and ruffled his hair. Anything, Harry. Anything. Hedwig will be fine to stretch her wings. Remus said, stepping from the doorway toward where Harry had set the owl's cage. 
He went briskly to the window and opened it and the cage. The snowy owl hooted and gave Remus an affectionate rub with her feathered head before soaring out the window. She can go beyond the wards, Remus said, watching the owl fade away into the distance. But I'll have to show you the boundaries. He turned back to look at Harry. There's still plenty of space for you to explore. And fly your firebolt. Sirius clapped Harry lightly on the shoulder. We'll just be down making tea. Come find us once you're sorted, and we'll show you the ropes, I. Harry nodded, smiling enormously with eyes still wet though he was fighting to make them dry. Oh his face, Mooney. Sirius was saying in the kitchen as Remus flicked his wand, bringing the kettle to boil and reaching into the cupboard for two teacups. Remus turned to look at him. I know, he said softly, reaching to squeeze Sirius's hand. Chapter 4 Dinner the first night of Harry's arrival and what he learned was called Hope's Cottage consisted of spaghetti, garlic bread, and sparkling cider. Remus and Sirius's meal was the same, except they substituted sparkling cider for champagne. A toast, Sirius said as they sat down at the small wooden table in the brightly lit kitchen. To freedom. Freedom, Remus asked, raising a brow. Glass raised to meet Sirius's and Harry's. Yep. Sirius nodded, grinning. I'm free from. Well, we know. And Harry's free from the Dursleys, and you're free to be you. Remus's cheeks went faintly pink, as he smiled softly. To freedom, he said. To freedom. Sirius and Harry chimed, and they clinked their glasses. Sirius insisted Harry not fret an ounce on cleaning up after the meal and Harry wandered into the living room to see about the crammed wall of books. Free to be me, Remus whispered as he leaned one hip on the counter beside the sink where Sirius was scrubbing the plates. Did you mean my being outed at Hogwarts as a werewolf? Sirius looked up at him. I meant you have nothing to worry about here, Mooney. You can be you. Remus tilted his head towards the living room. We talked about hiding us from Harry, Sirius. He murmured. But he wasn't chastising or fretting, only gently reminding. We had an agreement. Sirius nodded again. I know, I know. But it's just until he's adjusted. We've both. Suffered. Remus. We deserve to be happy. Free. I was just reminding you of that fact, you know. Remus leaned in and kissed Sirius gently on the temple. I'm perfectly happy right now, with you wearing a pair of marigolds and having had a few glasses of champagne. Sirius growled softly in his throat. I draw a line in wearing these gloves to bed. Remus chuckled. I wouldn't dream of you hiding those hands. Sirius whined quietly. You great tease. Oh, but that's most of the fun of hiding us, don't you remember? Sirius barked a laugh. Sneaking into broom closets did have its perks. Remus gave him a brisk nibble on the jaw before pulling away. I doubt we'd fit in one now, he said with a smile. I'll go light the fire. Harry had never been a fan of reading. That was Hermione's thing and he never had much of an inclination. But to his surprise, he found Remus's bookshelf was fairly tempting. Anything catching your eye? Remus asked him as he stepped into the living room, pulling his wand from his sleeve and coming to crouch before the staked fireplace. Oh, I don't know. Harry said, struggling to fight the habit of seeing Remus as his professor who might assign him summer reading. Remus waved his wand and a fire roared within the logs. 
He stood briskly and went towards the shelves, looking thoughtful. How about this one? Remus said, reaching a long arm to a higher shelf and pulling down a thin paperback. Ah, Mooney, Sirius said, striding into the living room and grinning at them. Be gentle with the poor lad. He's just finished school. Harry supposed he'd have to get used to the image of Remus Lupin blushing, something he'd never seen the man do during the last year he'd known him. Something he'd never seen Remus Lupin do, in fact, until Sirius Black had come back into his life. It's just Treasure Island, Remus said with a shy look at Sirius. Ah, I see. Well, in that case, best of luck, Harry. Sirius winked at his godson and flopped down on one side of the sofa. Fetch me one, Mooney. Remus handed Harry the book with a soft smile, and then turned back to the bookshelf, thoughtful once more. Harry joined his godfather on the other end of the sofa, looking at the book's cover of pirates and an old wooden ship. Sirius winked at him and whispered, I can tell you the summary for the quiz later. Harry grinned at him. Two on the nose, Sirius. Remus piped up from the shelves, holding a novel aloft in one hand. His face was mild but there was a clear mischievous glint in his brown eyes. The title was in particularly large font, The Count of Monte Cristo. Sirius burst into uproarious laughter, clutching his chest and wheezing. Harry looked from him to Remus in confusion, and Remus smiled at him. It's about a man who was falsely imprisoned without trial on an island fortress. Harry's mouth fell open in shock and he startled a laugh, looking at Sirius whose laughter was fading as he wiped his eyes. Harry had been worried, worried a lot actually, about how Sirius might handle any mention of Azkaban, and he noticed that his godfather did avoid saying the word or anything about his imprisonment. But Remus Lupin, his soft-spoken, gentile, and people-wise former professor, had made a joke, a proper joke, about his best friend's horrific experience, and Sirius had wholeheartedly laughed. Oh, vivid here, Mooney, Sirius was saying, still chuckling. I'll use it to inspire my revenge. Best not then, Remus said in faux seriousness, setting the book back and putting one hand under his chin in thought, staring at the shelves once more. Eventually, Remus settled on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy for Sirius and Watership Down for himself. He'd read it countless times as a child, but found that what he needed tonight was something familiar and soothing. Sirius and Harry made bold efforts to read, but within a few minutes Harry's eyes had started wandering and Sirius conscripted him into a game of gobstones on the carpet. Remus was happy to sit in his armchair and watch them play in between pages of the adventurous rabbits. He watched Harry's bright green eyes flash excitedly, mirroring Sirius's expression almost exactly, and he watched Sirius's long white hands flick the stones. He looked so young, and even cast in the dim glow of the firelight, he shone so brightly. He'd always shone, and even though Remus was not the only one who had ever noticed it, and the two young women in the cafe earlier that day had proven that twelve years in Azkaban would never dim Sirius Black's light it still felt like it was a brightness made just for Remus. It had always been serious for him. He wondered if he'd ever told him. When Harry's yawns grew more frequent, Sirius declared they'd continue the game tomorrow. Ready to check out that mattress? Sirius asked his godson. Make sure it's up to standard. Harry smiled sleepily.
Sure, serious. Sirius piled up the gobstones and set the box back on the lamp table beside the sofa, stretching. Harry rose and stifled another yawn. Night, Sirius. Night, Remus. Good night, Harry, Remus told him from his armchair. We'll see you in the morning. Sirius gave Harry a parting hug and watched his godson climb the stairs. The two men listened for the sound of his closed bedroom door before they too took the stairs and went quietly into the ensuite bedroom on the opposite end of the hall, past the guest bath which was now Harry's. Sirius no longer changed into Paffet, not since after the full moon, to sleep. That first night, as they lay beside each other as men, Sirius had gone quiet and fidgeted, and Remus waited, knowing that Sirius would speak when he had readied himself. Mooney he had said, looking up at Remus with baleful eyes. Yes. I, I just want you to know it's not you. He started in a quiet but rushed voice. I want you, but, I don't. It's been so long, and, and what it was like in Azkaban. I just, I don't think I'm ready yet. Remus had taken Sirius's clenched hands into his own, massaging them once more. Of course, I understand, Sirius. I'm just happy you're here. Whatever you need, whatever you're comfortable with, just tell me, all right. Sirius had nodded, exhaling, his body relaxing. I love you, Mooney. I love you too, Sirius. Now in Hope's cottage, laying with Sirius in his arms, tight against his chest, Remus remedied the earlier uncertainty that evening, watching Sirius and Harry play gobstones. Sirius, he murmured. Hmm. It's always been you, have I ever told you. Always has and always will. Sirius turned his head, eyes open now to meet Remus's. They were bright, in the dark room. He squeezed Remus's hand and pulled the other man's long arms tighter around him. It's the same for me. I may not have known, at first, but, you're my Mooney. Yours, Remus said, kissing Sirius tenderly on the lips. Chapter 5 The last secret of the two former marauders became known to Harry Potter on July 8, 1994. Like his father before him, Harry found out the morning after a full moon. Now, Harry Potter may have been known for selective observation. He really could be an unreliable narrator if the stories of the lives of the people around him were told specifically from his point of view. And while he had zero suspicions, Leading up to July 8th, even Harry had not been entirely oblivious to the goings-on of the two men he was now living with. He knew Sirius and Remus were best friends, and even if he hadn't known, that was readily apparent any time they were so much as standing in the same room together. They didn't even have to talk. They shared so many private looks and smiles that sometimes made Harry feel a bit left out. And when they did talk, they often revealed a banter that Harry watched with almost as much rapture as he watched Quidditch. Who knew that Remus Lupin could be so dry-witted? Well, apparently Sirius knew. And the amount of jokes that the two of them made at their own traumatic backstories had been unsettling at first but soon Harry couldn't help but join in on the laughter. It was Marauder's humor, and Harry came to love it. And watching them prepare a meal was like watching two wizard automatons perfectly in sync. Remus did the food and tidied most of it as he went, and Sirius was in charge of presentation and drinks. They moved around each other smoothly, 
waving their wands and never bumping into one another, and Sirius always did the washing up while Remus kept him company, sending Harry off to his own enjoyment. Sirius had told Harry he could do the washing with magic, but he liked to do a proper cleaning. Harry assumed it was due to the uncleanliness of Azkaban. He didn't know that sharing that post-dinner time in the kitchen together was like a treasured moment for the two men. And while Remus and Sirius didn't touch while cooking, or while reading, any other time it seemed, they touched, a lot. More than Harry and Ron did, that was apparent from the day Harry had left the Dursleys. Well, it was more Sirius touching Remus than the other way around, and so Harry assumed it was due to Sirius's long years of isolation from physical contact in a prison cell. It must be a kind of reassurance, Harry thought, as he noticed Sirius's hand on Remus's knee most nights at the dinner table. They also shared a bedroom. Harry had never seen inside it. Remus had just said it was his bedroom when he and Sirius had given Harry a tour, but Harry could see no other place for Sirius to sleep in the cottage. Sirius probably sleeps as Padfoot in a doggy bed or something. Harry thought as he watched the door down the hall open one morning while his bedroom door was open. He was standing by his wardrobe and watched Sirius come out of the bedroom, hair tousled from sleep, and Remus come out a few moments later. They hadn't seen him standing there, and he ducked farther back into his room, away from his open door, before they could. He hadn't known why he'd done that. The fact that he hadn't wanted them to see confused him more than the two of them sleeping in the same room. It did occur to him that it was kind of degrading and odd for Sirius to sleep in a doggy bed as Padfoot every night, but he was willing to make a lot of allowances for his godfather considering all he'd been through. But the discovery really properly started for Harry on July 7th, when Harry bounded down the stairs in the morning to find Sirius making tea and not Remus. In the weeks since Harry's arrival at Hope's cottage, Remus had always been the one to make tea, morning, midday, and evening. It was always Remus. Morning, Hop. Sirius barked from beside the whistling kettle. Morning, Sirius, Harry said, glancing around the empty kitchen distractedly. Fancy flying the firebolt later. The new bludgers just arrived, and I am completely certain that I charmed them perfectly this time not to leave the wards. Sirius was saying, preparing two cups of tea. Yeah, great, Harry said. Um, where's Remus? Sirius's face fell slightly. Full moon tonight, Harry. He's having a lie-in. Harry felt his cheeks redden in embarrassment. He should have known when the full moon would be coming. But not because he had any worry at all about living with a werewolf, living with Remus. But so he'd be able to help, so he could be understanding. Hey, hey, not to fret, Sirius said. I forgot to give you my spare lunar chart. Sides. Mooney and I should have said something earlier. Just slipped our minds, that's all. Sirius knew he was lying but he felt this one time it was warranted. The full moon never slipped Remus's mind. He just hardly ever spoke about it until it was upon him. And Sirius had been so wrapped up in thinking about what to do about it that he'd forgotten to properly speak to Harry. Oh, all right then, Harry said, sitting at the table. I'll just bring him his tea. Sirius said, almost as if speaking to himself, taking a teacup and hurrying out of the kitchen. Harry stared out the kitchen window at the bright summer day. It was perfect flying weather, and Remus liked to watch him and Sirius. Would he be well enough to watch them today? Eggs. Toast. What will you have? 
Sirius asked him as he re-entered the kitchen. Sirius making food. That was just as unheard of as Sirius making tea. But Harry made an amendment in his mind. Sirius would have to cook around the full moons. Toast, please. Harry answered. Um, Sirius. Yeah. Sirius asked absently, opening the cupboard and taking out the bread and waving his wand so several slices toasted instantly. Will you? Padfoot, I mean, be out with Mooney tonight. Sirius looked at him in apparent alarm. And leave you alone. Not for a second. But then Padfoot won't be there. And only Snape can make Wolfsbane. Sirius's eyes widened in understanding and he carried the toast and spreads to the table, sitting across from Harry. I know. Sirius sighed and for the first time since the day of his exoneration, Sirius seemed downcast. I thought about asking the Weasleys, if you could stay there for the night or maybe Arthur could stay here, but he couldn't get away tonight and there's just not enough protection for you there. Remus didn't want to impose, regardless. Sirius ran a hand through his long black hair, and Harry watched him while spreading jam on his toast. The cellar. He used it before Hogwarts. He said he's going to use it tonight. Harry's mouth fell open. He's going to lock himself in the cellar. My thoughts exactly. Sirius growled, looking angry. No better than that wretched shack. I just couldn't think of anyone who could come watch over you tonight. Anyone who would. Understand too. Harry had lost his appetite. He stared down at his toast. Sirius's hand reached across the table and touched Harry's arm gently. I'm sorry, Harry, he said. I didn't mean for you to worry. Well, I'm going to worry anyway. Harry huffed, suddenly feeling belittled, something he had never felt before from Sirius and did not like one bit. He doesn't want you to worry, Sirius said in a softer voice. You mustn't let him see, okay. Stubborn as a bull, that one. Prideful too, though you'd never know it. I'll figure something out next moon, but until then. We've just got to get through this one. Harry looked at his godfather. We'll figure something out together. Sirius smiled genuinely at him. Deal. It was noon, and Harry was out on the back lawn, readying to mount his firebolt while Sirius was about to open the trunk containing the Quidditch balls, Sirius's own firebolt, painted black and beating stick beside him, when they heard the back door open. Remus stepped out in his usual jumper and worn trousers, and gave them a wave in greeting. He looked tired but not too bad off, Harry thought. He watched Remus walk slowly before sitting himself down on the back step like he always did, elbows on his bent knees, chin propped up on his hands. Let's see that charm work, Sirius, Remus called in a would-be strong voice. Sirius grinned at him and released the lid on the trunk, the bludgers and the snitch flying up over their heads as he and Harry took to the air. Sirius made dinner that night while Remus sat curled under blankets on the sofa by the fireplace. Harry lay on his stomach on the carpet beside him, obediently turning the pages of Treasure Island which, he was quite proud of himself, to be near to finishing. Don't smell any smoke, do you? Remus said from the sofa smiling at Harry even as his body gave a great tremor. Hard to light stew on fire, Harry said back, fighting to smile despite the twisting of his stomach. You'd be surprised, Remus replied wryly. They ate in the living room so that Remus wouldn't have to move and Harry managed a few bites that he felt could be convincing for Remus to think Harry had an appetite. 
Sirius chatted more than usual to make up for Remus's growing silence. The last rays of sunlight were fading from the sky as Sirius returned from the kitchen, having washed up the bowls. He flashed Harry a sage look, one that said, Don't let him see, remember? And went to Remus. Off he get, Mooney, Sirius said, but his playful words were spoken in a soft voice that was laced with tightness. He sat on the sofa beside Remus, and wrapped one arm around the other man's waist as Remus shed the blankets and put one of his own arms over Sirius's shoulders. Remus was looking at Harry. His face had gone almost white. He opened his mouth to speak, but Harry beat him to it. What Harry wanted to say was, I'm not afraid of you, I'm afraid for you. But he couldn't say that, Sirius had told him not to. So, what he said instead was, I'll see you first thing in the morning, Uncle Mooney. Remus bowed his head shyly, and when he looked up, he gave Harry one of his classic soft smiles. See you then, Harry. Sirius helped Remus stand, and the two men walked slowly through the living room and kitchen, and out the back door. Harry, high strung on nerves, went to the kitchen window and watched them as they reached the cellar door. Remus and Sirius crouched together before the door, Sirius waving his wand so that the lock opened and the cellar doors swung open. The sun was setting behind the hill, casting the two men in hues of orange and violet. He saw Sirius whispering in Remus's ear, and Remus nod, and then Remus pulled away and crawled toward the open cellar. He found his feet and walked on unsteady legs down into the dark. Sirius waved his wand, and the cellar doors closed and the lock clicked back into place. Then Sirius gave another flick and a thick cloud of what looked like silver fell over the cellar doors. He used his wand one final time, and Harry hazarded a guess about that last spell that was completely accurate. It was a silencing charm. As his godfather began to turn to walk back into the cottage, Harry quickly moved away from the window and went back into the living room. He took his seat again on the carpet and was waiting there when Sirius walked back into the room. Fancy a sleepover in here, tonight, Sirius said in a hoarse voice, looking at Harry. Only if you want, of course. Harry nodded wordlessly. Sirius looked older to Harry, not haggard and ravaged like he had been the first time he'd seen him, but worn and weary. He came to sit cross-legged on the carpet in front of Harry. Ever played poker? Sirius asked him, using his wand to summon a small metal box with playing cards and chips. Harry and Sirius played poker, a muggle betting card game that Harry was rubbish at and Sirius amazing, until the clock on the fireplace mantel chimed midnight. Sirius looked up at the sound, his jawbones tightening in his face. What was it like? Harry abruptly asked him. Finding out about Remus, I mean. Sirius looked at him thoughtfully. Do you mean, how we found out? Or how we felt about it? Or how he felt about it? All of it, I guess, Harry said. Sirius set his cards face down and motioned for Harry to join him on the sofa. The blankets were still how Remus had discarded them earlier that night, and Sirius carefully folded them and put them on one of the arms before he and Harry sat on either side facing one another. Well, Sirius started. You see, James, he who must not be named, and I, we were all purebloods. We grew up hearing stories about werewolves, mostly they were horror stories to scare us into staying indoors on full moons. 
mothers telling their kids about them so that they would always come home at sundown, that kind of thing. None of us really knew the particulars of what it would mean to be one. Just that if you got bit by a werewolf, as a wolf I mean, on the full moon, that you became one. Sirius's dark eyes were on Harry, and they reflected the firelight. I never gave a single thought to ever encountering a werewolf, or ever meeting one as a witch or wizard. He said. Remus is the first and only werewolf to ever be allowed at Hogwarts. So, at the beginning, none of us thought much about his scars. He had some small ones when he first arrived at Hogwarts, said he was mauled by a wild dog or something, but... I noticed about halfway through our first year that he'd have new ones. I didn't really know what to think of it, but it worried me a bit. And of course, there were all of his absences. He was our doormate after all, and he'd be gone for a night and a day every month with a different excuse. And he always looked sick afterwards but refused our offers to take him to the hospital wing and have him looked at. We didn't know that he'd always just come from the hospital wing. Sirius shifted on the sofa. Well, it was astronomy in our second year that finally sorted it out for us. Remus was gone, and James and I were doing our astronomy in the common room, and he looked up and said, Sirius, did you know it's a full moon tonight? I think I said something along the lines of, and I'm a Scorpio, what's that go to do with anything? And James said, what day was the last time Remus left? And I, fancying myself a bit of an expert in Remus Lupin. And here Sirius abruptly stopped speaking, and Harry Potter saw his godfather blush for the first time. Remus was the one to blush, and almost always it was because of Sirius. Sometimes he'd blush because of Harry. If Harry had something kind or flattering, like telling a story from Remus's tenure as Professor Lupin, but Sirius had never blushed before. Harry stared. Sirius cleared his throat and looked away, speaking hurriedly. Well, at any rate I knew what date he'd been gone last and James checked the lunar chart and that was a full moon too. At first, I just thought, huh, coincidence, so what? I mean, no way could Remus, a student at Hogwarts, be a werewolf. But then I thought of the scars. Sirius's eyes had grown dark, and Harry knew where his thoughts had gone. The wolf locked in the cellar, scratching and biting itself in frustration. So, then what did you think about it? Harry prompted. Sirius focused again, and he gave Harry a warm smile. I thought, bloody hell. And I thought, Remus is going to be so scared when we tell him. And I thought, I have so many questions to ask him. And I thought, He's one of my best mates and I'll do anything to prove to him he doesn't have to hide. Harry looked at his godfather and thought that he was more compassionate than anyone outside of a close few would ever probably give him credit for. How do you tell him you knew? Harry asked. Well, James and the other one. And I waited for him in the dorm the next day. We had to skip off classes waiting for him, and he came into the dorm in the middle of the day. At first, he just stared at us, clearly afraid. And here, Sirius smiled warmly. And then James said, Remus, you're a marauder. You're one of us. And we'll be damned if you being a werewolf makes any bloody difference. Harry smiled. Sirius reached over and ruffled Harry's hair. That day in the Great Hall at the end of term, Harry, you reminded me just of James in that moment. Harry ducked his head, shy but feeling his heart swell. I think Remus was scared for a lot longer than he let James and I see. Sirius continued in a soft voice. He didn't believe we'd really accepted him for a long time. And don't think he wasn't scared that day in the Great Hall either, Harry. But you've got to fight your fears, that's really courage. Can't be brave if you aren't afraid of anything. 
Harry knew they were both thinking of Remus, walking down the cellar steps into the pitch-black darkness below, waiting for his bones to break and the wolf to ravage him. The logs in the fireplace popped and silence fell upon Godfather and Godson as they thought about bravery and friendship and such things that made them both Gryffindors. Harry woke up on the sofa to Sirius moving beside him. Immediately, Harry sat bolt upright. The light coming in from the windows was a faint gray. The sun was rising. You should go to your room, Harry, Sirius said gently, trying not to order him but also trying to protect him. I told him I'd see him first thing in the morning, Harry insisted. He might not. Be awake really. I told him I'd be here, Harry insisted again. Sirius gave him a quick appraising look before nodding. All right. Wait here. Maybe, sit in one of the armchairs. Sirius stood, grabbed one blanket from the arm of the sofa, and left the room without a backwards glance at Harry. Harry moved to the armchair closest to the sofa, fidgeting anxiously. He wanted to bolt to the kitchen window, but he also didn't want to upset Sirius or Remus right after such a terrible night. Remus would want him here so that he could maybe make himself more presentable for Harry. He wouldn't want Harry to see him fresh out of that horrid cellar. It felt like ages before Harry heard the back door open, but he only heard one set of footsteps. Harry's stomach felt like lead. When the footsteps reached the living room, Harry fought to hide any expressions on his face. Sirius was carrying Remus, and Sirius's face was racked with worry. Harry knew Remus was taller, but that he was also skinnier and probably weighed less than Sirius, but still. Remus was wrapped in the blanket, his whole body shaking in Sirius's arms as Sirius held him tightly to his chest. His godfather didn't look at Harry as he sat down on the sofa, moving Remus gingerly so that his head was against Sirius's chest. Still, Remus remained curled in a tight ball, a hissing sound coming from between his clenched teeth. His face was white, his eyes were closed, and there was an inflamed red gash on one cheek. I know, I know. Sirius was murmuring in an undertone, using one hand to unwrap the blankets where they covered Remus's torso. Harry swallowed the gasp in his throat. There were cuts and slashes across Remus's arms, his ribs, his chest. Some were faded old scars, of course, but there were several freshly bleeding ones from the night before. The fabric of the blanket, and Sirius's tight hold, had clearly inflamed them further. Remus's body shook, his skin was covered in sweat, and his torso was as white as his face. Sirius took his free hand to cusp the unmarred side of Remus's face, rubbing his thumb under one of the man's closed eyelids. Harry, Sirius said, not looking away from Remus, and speaking in a voice that barely disguised his anxiety. The wardrobe in our bedroom. The top shelf. Essence of Mertlap. I thought I could take him up there. Can't. Harry bolted up the stairs, his heart pounding. He ran into the bedroom at the far end of the hall, and was at the wardrobe before the words hit him. Our bedroom. Harry grabbed the jar that sat on the top shelf, the only jar, and took only half a second to glance around the room. No doggy bed. He dashed down the stairs, Sirius extending his hand without looking at Harry. Harry retreated back a bit as Sirius pulled his other arm back from around Remus's shoulders and opened the jar, perching it on the sofa arm. 
he dipped one finger into the clear essence, and with a look of deep concentration, gently stroked the coated finger along the gash on Remus's cheek. Hush, Sirius whispered as Remus hissed semi-consciously. It's all right, darling. Harry fought down a second gasp. Sirius's hand dipped back into the jar and pulled out a handful, which he spread evenly between his two hands, and began tracing them both along the fresh wounds on Remus's shoulder, his ribs, his chest. That done, Sirius lifted Remus's hands from where they were curled tight into his chest, and Harry fought down a third gasp at the ravaged fingers. The bones of the knuckles were visible, the skin was so flayed. Sirius massaged Remus's entire hands in the essence of Mertlap. Remus was still shaking, but the muscles of his body were clearly relaxing, his spine straightening out, his arms not so tight into his torso, his jaw no longer clamped shut, no more hissing escaped his lips. Sirius gently wrapped the blankets back around Remus, and only once Remus was properly covered, his face hidden in Sirius's chest, did Sirius look at Harry. Harry, Sirius whispered, his face was no longer tight with anxiety, but his eyes were almost burning in their sockets. He mustn't know that you saw. Do you understand? Harry nodded. Speak it, please, Harry. I promise, Harry found himself saying. He won't know I saw. Sirius nodded. I'll take him to bed now, he said, almost as if for no one but himself. Harry watched in amazement as Sirius copied the incredible feat from earlier and picked Remus up, carrying him out of the living room and up the stairs. Harry stared after them. Darling, Sirius had called Remus. Harry thought, Bloody hell! And then, Are they scared to tell me? And then, I have so many questions! And then, They're my godfather and my uncle Mooney, and I'll do anything to prove to them that they don't have to hide. Chapter 6 Remus Lupin opened his eyes to the sound of the bedroom door opening, late morning sunlight peeking through the closed window blinds. Mooney, Sirius asked, stepping into the bedroom and closing the door behind him. He was carrying a bowl in one hand and a glass of water in the other, setting them on the bedside table as he came to sit on the edge of the bed. Remus pushed himself up on his elbows so he was propped halfway up on the pillows. Sirius. His voice was hoarse but before he could struggle to clear it, Sirius was handing him the glass of water. Remus drank it all gratefully and handed it back to him. How'd, how'd I get in here? I don't really remember. It was bad. Mooney, I carried you. Let me see. Sirius lifted Remus's hands absorbedly, examining the freshly regrown pink skin on his knuckles, leaning forward to look carefully at the side of Remus's cheek. Remus felt the ache and knew without needing to look that there was a gash there. Healing nicely, Sirius murmured. They always do, Remus assured him. Where's Harry? Taking a nap, Sirius answered. He and I. We had trouble sleeping last night. We were up pretty late. Sirius, the boy needs his rest. It couldn't be helped, Mooney. He couldn't sleep, and we both needed the company. I know you know that he was worried although he did put on a good brave face. As I'm sure you told him to. Yes, for you. I know it's what you would want rather than seeing how worried for you he really was. And don't start to say he shouldn't be worried. Remus sighed and opened his mouth to speak, 
but Sirius had reached back and was now handing the bowl to Remus with an air of forced cheer. Harry asked if he could play you in wizard's chess tonight, if you're feeling well enough. Let that be your motivation. Ah, beating a poor innocent youth at wizard's chess. There's no stronger impetus for recovery. That's right. Sirius smiled, leaning in and kissing Remus on the cheek. Now, no more talking from you. You have stew. I'll talk. I've many thoughts on whether or not we should start our subscription to the Prophet. I know we said we weren't going to until the rat sentencing was published and out, but I think reading the sentencing can't be much worse than going to the trial and besides that, I would love to have Harry read the sports section so we can get some inspiration for our drills. And of course, I know you love a good crossword and the Prophet's Sunday ones are not always rubbish. Remus Lupinate's stew propped up in bed that late morning. The shivers and dull ache of his muscles and bones and the faint stinging of healing wounds fading to the back of his mind as he watched Sirius's animated face, his gesturing hands, and listened to the love of his life babble to him about nonsense. Harry Potter lay atop his bedsheets, not even attempting to nap. The window was slightly ajar so Hedwig could come in easily when she returned, but it wasn't the slight breeze and call of the birds and sunshine that distracted Harry from sleep. He had quite a lot to think about. Obviously, best friends love one another. I mean, Harry loved Ron and Hermione in a best friend love way. But then there was another kind of love, the romantic kind. Harry had hardly any experience with that. He did not even consider Petunia and Vernon in his line of thinking around romantic love. Yuck. But he had seen films with couples in love and he had seen Arthur and Molly Weasley together. The events of sunrise that morning wouldn't stop playing in Harry's mind first, there was the horror and fear and misery of seeing Remus like that. Harry and Sirius would have to find another solution next moon. Having Remus rip himself to shreds locked in that dark cellar would not do again. And second, then there was. Darling, Sirius had called Remus. Sirius carrying, carrying, Remus in his arms, his face a mask of worry, absorbed completely in Remus stroking the other man's torn body with the essence and murmuring soothing words. Our bedroom. And I, fancying myself a bit of an expert in Remus Lupin. And Sirius's abrupt blush. But there was a whole lot more than that, Harry thought. Sirius's touching of Remus. His hand on Remus's knee or shoulder. The way he talked about him. Like Remus knew all the answers. And Sirius always seemed so proud of him and seemed so proud of knowing him. Well, Harry thought, hard not to be proud of a man as brave and strong as Remus. That's what I told him. Sirius had said in that unfamiliarly soft voice that day in Professor Lupin's office, reaching across the space to touch Remus. How Sirius had no eyes at all for the two young women in the cafe, how he seemed personally offended that someone else had got Remus to cave into CDs and there was the way that almost every afternoon after their Quidditch drills, when Sirius touched down on the grass, he stared at where Remus sat watching them, and Harry had had no way to describe the look in his eye. But now he could. Sirius stared at Remus, after only a few hours or so without a close view of the other man, and looked like he had caught the golden snitch. Sirius loves Remus, Harry thought with now 100% certainty. Now, did Remus love Sirius? Well, a few things came to mind quickly. Remus's now amendedly characteristic blushing at Sirius. His knowing what Sirius liked to eat, how he liked his tea, 
what books or music he liked. There was the way mischief flashed in his eyes, always directed at Sirius. There was the way Harry looked up in the evenings from gobstones with Sirius, or from Treasure Island, and would catch Remus just staring at Sirius. His eyes always seemed molten, like melted chocolate. It must be a kind of reassurance, Harry had thought those times, a reassurance that Sirius was really back in Remus's life, not locked in Azkaban. And then there was the day, about a week prior, when Sirius had gone to be a witness in Peter Pettigrew's conviction trial. It was the longest Harry had been separated from his godfather since Sirius had taken him from the Dursleys, and the only time either Sirius or Remus had ever left the cottage grounds. Harry had been worried about Sirius when he got up that morning, knowing that his godfather would have to go to the ministry and testify, to have to see Peter Pettigrew, and to have to relive horribly painful events that may leave him racked with guilt and grief and vengeful anger. Sirius and Remus never said Peter's name or mentioned the trial, except the night before at dinner when Sirius had told Harry in a gruff tight voice that he'd have to be gone the next day. But the next morning at breakfast, as Harry was preparing any number of previously thought-up conversation points to distract Sirius and get him thinking of how good it would be when he did return to the cottage in the evening, Remus surprised him. I've something for you both. Remus said in a light tone as he reached into the cupboard above the tea kettle and pulled something that must have been hidden deep within. Sirius raised an eyebrow, glancing at Harry. Remus walked back to the table and sat at his usual seat beside Sirius, laying down a rectangular worn leather tome. I'm sorry I didn't show it to either of you sooner, Remus said with a slightly apologetic look at them both. But I thought it could be especially welcome at the right time. Harry realized with a jolt that Remus had planned this, whatever this gift was, specifically for today, for Peter Pettigrew's trial, when all sorts of tragic thoughts would be occupying space in all of their minds. He motioned at Sirius to open the tome and Sirius, with a quizzical look, opened it. It was a wizard photo album, and the first page showed two pictures of three young boys, one taken in a dorm room grinning with arms around each other's shoulders one of them laying on the grass the breeze ruffling their robes, and another two pictures of just two boys, one of two dark-haired boys standing side by side in red and gold Quidditch robes, laughing hugely and ruffling each other's hair, and another of one dark-haired boy and one brown-haired boy sitting on the sofa in what Harry recognized immediately as the Gryffindor common room, a record player spinning in between them as they looked at one another. Look, Sirius whispered in awe, pointing at the one of three boys laying in the grass, robes and ties askew. There's James, Harry. I haven't seen him since. Harry looked up from delightedly staring at the three photos which featured his animated father as a young boy, and saw Sirius had tears in his eyes, and Remus was just looking at Sirius. Sirius turned the page, and more wizard pictures revealed themselves, Sirius and James and Lily sitting and laughing along the bench at the Gryffindor table, Sirius and Remus with their heads bent over parchment, which Harry noticed revealed a map of Hogwarts, the Marauder's map. A picture of James and Lily, James in his Quidditch robes and arms wrapped around one another, kissing while red and gold confetti rained down on them. Oh, Lily, Sirius sighed, running one hand along the photo of him and the couple. After a moment he seemed to have found himself, and glanced up at Harry, who was just smiling hugely, 
staring at the photo of his young parents hungrily. Come closer, pup. Sirius beckoned him, and Harry jumped up eagerly and went to stand behind Sirius's shoulder, and they spent the rest of the morning going through the album slowly, page by page. There were photos stretching from the Marauder's first year, all the way to James and Lily's wedding and Harry's birth. Photos of baby Harry in Lily's arms, Harry gripping his mother's brilliant red hair in his baby fist. The last photo, beneath one of Harry and his parents, James with his arms around Harry and Lily, was of one-year-old Harry, sitting upright on the carpet in the house in Godric's Hollow with Sirius and Remus sitting in front of him, Remus with a hand full of light green flames, exactly as he had cast on the Hogwarts Express the day Harry had met him as Professor Lupin. Baby Harry was watching enthralled, and so too was Sirius, they were both staring at him with looks of awe. Sirius closed the photo album as the clock chimed, and wiped under his misty eyes, clearing his throat gruffly. Harry saw him reach and squeeze Remus's hand. Remember all that joy and love, Remus told Sirius and Harry. He hadn't needed to tell either of them that really. The gift of the photo album that particular morning was the same exact message. Sirius had apparated just outside the wards, and Remus and Harry had gone back to the kitchen table. This time, Harry flipped the pages and asked questions of Remus. What were you all doing here? What year was this? What's Sirius looking at in the foreground? Did they win the Quidditch Cup that year? And Remus answered. They were watching to see the statues start singing T-Rex, the prank we had plotted the night before. That was our fifth year. They'd just become anime guy. Can you see how proud and pleased they look? He's looking at the Slytherins, Snape probably, that's why his brow furrows just there. Yes, James scored 100 points that game alone. I lost count of how many goals overall that season. Remus and Harry stared at the moving memories all day, and Remus only moved away from the photo album to make lunch and tea. Just before dusk and dinner time, Remus moved them to the living room, perching himself on the sofa so he could stare out the window, waiting to see Sirius return. It went okay, you think? Harry asked him from the carpet where he was flipping gobstones aimlessly. Remus did not look particularly anxious, but it was hard to tell sometimes with Remus. Remus didn't look away from the window. I think so, Harry. The sky was turning orange and pink with sunset when Sirius appeared walking in through the shielded magic entrance, up the grass front garden. Remus bolted from the sofa, running from the living room throwing open the front door so fast Harry barely registered that he'd moved until he saw Remus meet Sirius in the front garden and throw his arms around him. Harry went to the open threshold, watching as Sirius and Remus whispered to one another, arms wrapped around the other's body. When they pulled apart, Sirius looked tired, but he was smiling. Hiya, Pop, Sirius said as he and Remus reached Harry at the doorway. Hiya, Padfoot. Harry said, smiling up at him. Sirius ruffled his hair. Right then. Dinner. I'm starving. Laying on his bed, pretending to be napping, Harry thought of that day a week ago. He thought of the way Remus knew just what Sirius, and also Harry, granted, needed to get through that awful day. He thought of how Remus moved with uncharacteristic unrestriction to reach Sirius on the grass. He thought of how any time Harry had asked about a photo with Sirius, Remus remembered exactly what had been happening in that moment, 
and knew exactly what Sirius had been thinking and feeling. Harry thought of one photo of Sirius and Remus in particular. One Remus had told him had been taken by James. It showed Sirius and Remus sitting on the grass in front of the Black Lake one fine day at the end of their sixth year. Sirius was laughing and gesturing, telling a story, and Remus was a bit behind him, propped up on his elbows in the grass. He was staring at Sirius, eyes like melted chocolate, and a small smile was spread on his lips. Remus loved Sirius, Harry thought with 100% certainty. The only question now was, how would Harry tell them that he knew? They mustn't have to hide from him anymore. Harry remembered their toast the day they all moved into Hope's cottage. They were all free now, and Remus and Sirius deserved to be free together. Harry would not be in the way of that. He would not allow it. Harry finally gave up the napping charade a little after twelve and went into the kitchen to find Sirius at the kitchen table, eating a sandwich. Want one, Harry? Sirius asked him. Yes, please, Harry said sitting across from him. Sirius waved his wand and occioed the ingredients for a sandwich from the cupboards to the table, and helped Harry make his. Mooney's resting still, Sirius told him without Harry having to ask. But he assured me he'll be fit for a game of wizard's chess with you after dinner. Sirius and Harry spent the rest of the afternoon out in the back garden. Sirius turned into Padfoot, and Harry threw him sticks to catch. Hedwig flew through the wards just before they were getting ready to go in for dinner. Padfoot turned back into Sirius just before stepping back into the cottage, and as he and Harry entered, they were surprised to see Remus standing by the tea kettle. He looked pale and tired, with heavy shadows under his eyes, of course but the red slash on his face and his previously marred knuckles were now scar tissue, the color a soft pink. He smiled at them both. I'm thinking spaghetti, he asked them, eyes twinkling. Right you are then, Sirius said, grinning. And Harry sat at the table and watched the completely unironically fascinating act of Sirius and Remus preparing dinner. Harry and Remus played wizard's chess on the sofa the board in the middle as they leaned on either arm, Remus wrapped up in blankets once more and sitting closer to the fire. Sirius watched them from the armchair closest to Remus, offering animated commentary and charming the pieces to use swear words. Remus smiled indulgently at him and said nothing when his knight hollered, Wanker! at Harry's bishop. Harry was putting up a good fight, but he could tell that Remus was prolonging the game, and Harry himself, was prolonging saying his revelation. Finally, Remus was left with really no option than to checkmate Harry, and Remus's bishop shouted triumphantly as it took Harry's king. Remus offered Harry his scarred but healing hand. Good game, Harry. Harry shook it, using very little force for fear of agitating the healing process, but was shocked to find how strong Remus's grip was. His eyes widened perceptibly. I'm stronger than I look, Harry, Remus told him with a wink. Too right, Sirius said from his armchair, looking at Remus with pride. Harry helped Remus put the chess pieces back in their box, breaking up a sword fight between the Black Knight and the White Knight, and then Harry stood and put the board and box back in their place on the bottom shelf of the lamp table before plopping himself down on the carpet, staring at the flames in the fireplace. Sirius had charmed them to flicker red and gold tonight. Sirius stood up from his armchair, stretched, and said, T. Mooney. Remus nodded. 
Ta, Sirius. Sirius went into the kitchen, making quite a bit more noise than Remus ever did when he made the tea. Harry waited until Sirius returned with two teacups, and was not at all surprised when Sirius took Harry's earlier seat on the sofa, handing one teacup to Remus as he said, I'll give a man a wee bit of blanket, will you? Remus smiled at him and unwrapped part of the blankets around his legs so that it also covered Sirius's. Harry cleared his throat, and immediately his face went bright red with what he had prepared to say. The two men looked at him, mildly at first, and then with slightly wider eyes. Harry, you all right there? Sirius asked, already worried. Harry nodded an almost absurd number of times. Yeah, yeah, I just... I wanted to ask you both something. Sirius and Remus shared a quick glance before looking back at him. Anything, Harry. Sirius assured him. You can ask us anything. All right, Harry said, his voice cracking a bit with his nervousness. He fidgeted on the carpet, glancing between Sirius and Remus and the fireplace. The thing was Harry only felt awkward because he was worried about their reaction. He did not want to upset them, especially with Remus still recovering from the transformation. Moreover, he did not want them to feel awkward around him at all. He wanted them to be comfortable, like how they always made him feel. Finally, he took a deep breath and squared his shoulders. He had to face his worries, be brave for them. He looked at them both. Sirius was still watching him with slight anxiety. Remus looked at him mildly, but his brow was furrowed slightly. How long have you two been together? Harry asked in a rush. Sirius's eyes popped wide in their sockets, and both he and Remus's mouths fell open. They just stared at him. I don't want you to hide, Harry insisted, looking at them imploringly. The two men still were staring at him, Sirius still in shock. Did he not realize how much he had given away to Harry the night before? He must have been so distracted by Remus, Harry thought. Remus's open mouth slowly spread into his classically enduring small smile. Since about our sixth year, Harry, Remus answered him. Did my dad and mum know? Harry couldn't help but ask next. Yes, Sirius answered, voice slightly hoarse. Remus's smile widened slightly. James found out after a full moon, too. Don't you remember, Sirius? He looked back to Sirius, who finally glanced away from Harry. Their eyes locked and after a few of Harry's stammering heartbeats, Sirius smiled enormously. His whole face looked lit from within. He reached his free hand toward Remus who took it and interlaced their fingers. Of course, I remember. Sirius laughed. Poor lad almost had a stroke. For a moment, Remus replied, still smiling. But he took it well in stride quite quickly. Well, that was prongs, Sirius said. Lily was the same. Remus nodded his head. The two men turned back to Harry. Has anybody ever told you that you're a lot like your parents, Harry? Remus said to him eyes twinkling with mirth and mischief. Once or twice, Harry said, grinning with relief that things had gone so well, so far. How long have you known, Harry? Sirius asked him, looking slightly worried. Just, kind of guessed, Harry said. He had promised Sirius that Remus would never know that Harry had been there after Sirius took him out of the cellar earlier that morning. If Sirius asked Harry again in private, Harry would tell him the truth. I don't want you to hide, Harry repeated. But I won't tell anyone if you don't want me to. 
I won't tell Ron or Hermione, I swear. Thank you, Harry, Remus told him. We'd prefer it stay between the three of us, for now. I promise it will. Harry nodded for emphasis. And then he smiled at them. Any other last secrets? Sirius laughed wholeheartedly, his shoulders shaking with it. Reckon that's the last one, pup. But we'll keep you on your toes, won't we? Remus chuckled. I imagine so. Sirius and Remus finished their tea as Harry asked them about his parents' discovery of their relationship. Harry hazarded a guess that Sirius and Remus were giving him a slightly censored version, and Harry was grateful. But they were all tired from the night before, and those stories were told quickly, and it was Sirius who announced it was time for bed. Harry stretched and stood from the carpet, and his godfather and Uncle Mooney did the same, stretching their long limbs. Remus used his own volition to rise from the sofa, and Sirius didn't offer him any aid. Remus can be prideful. Sirius said, Harry thought, and realized he understood how Remus felt. They all climbed the stairs together. Night, pup, Sirius said, ruffling Harry's hair. Night, Sirius. Night, Remus. Good night, Harry, Remus said as Harry gave them a small wave and stepped into his bedroom, closing the door. What do you think, Sirius? Remus said. He and Sirius were laying on their sides, face to face, in their bed. I'm so happy, Mooney, Sirius told him, squeezing their clasped hands and leaning in to kiss Remus on the lips. Me too, Remus said once they broke apart. In fact, Sirius said, moving closer to nuzzle Remus's neck. I'm so happy. His breath was warm and tantalizing on Remus's skin. I want to try something we haven't tried since. Oh, Remus breathed his skin covered in goosebumps and warmth growing low in his belly as Sirius nipped his neck, his hands moving to roam down his arms and torso. Don't move a muscle, Sirius was saying, moving his lips and hands lower. This is for you. Remus's breathing hitched as Sirius's hands slid down, moving under the elastic of his briefs, and soon Sirius's head followed suit, and Remus's hands gripped the sheets as Sirius's lips filled with him his hands massaging the side of Remus's hips and his thighs. Afterward, Remus held Sirius to his chest, their legs and fingers intertwined, as chastely close as their two bodies could be. I love you, Remus whispered in Sirius's ear. Love you, Mooney, Sirius replied and they fell into sleep. Chapter 7 Sirius Black had grown up a bit by July 31, 1994. He was not as impulsive as he had been as a younger man, not as hell-bent on refusing to obey authority figures, and certainly he was not as devil-may-care as he had once been, nor was he as foolhardy. He didn't draw or strut as he had at Hogwarts, and he didn't drive a flying motorbike or smoke cigarettes anymore. But Sirius Black had been known for many things in his youth that had survived his imprisonment in Azkaban and year on the run as Padfoot, and resurfaced now fully at Hope's cottage. These traits included his aristocratic good looks, his barking laugh, his penchant for leather jackets and jeans, his obsession with Quidditch and 1970s British rock and funk, and of course, his love of Remus Lupin. This last one was only known among a select few. And we mustn't forget, there was also his predilection on throwing a bloody good party. How many Weasleys? Tell me again, 
Sirius said from he and Remus's bedroom floor, waving his wand so that wrapping paper folded itself around Harry's new set of Quidditch gloves. All of them, Remus replied from their bed, where he was pulling out pages of recipes from his mother's old cookbook. And that is how many? Sirius said, turning his attention to wrapping Harry's next birthday present, an enchanted two-way mirror so they could talk face to face while Harry was at Hogwarts without having to use a fireplace. Nine, Remus said without a second thought. And remember Arthur said Lee Jordan and Oliver Wood would be joining them. Too right. Blimey, I can't wait to talk to Wood about signing with Puddlemere United. Sirius exclaimed. Remus looked up from his collected recipes, smiling at Sirius, who was sitting cross-legged in his pajama bottoms, a circle of wrapping paper and gifts, his hair tousled from waking up an hour earlier too excited to brush it. Reckon Harry's got enough birthday presents, Remus said wryly, eyeing the growing pile. Sirius looked up at him. Never. But I think we found the sweet spot. Remus held up one of the recipes. I've got to use Hedwig right after we wake Harry and do his gifts. Quite a lot of food is needed for the crowd, and she'll have to make a few trips for ingredients. Remus had insisted to the guests in his letters that they not bring an ounce of food for the festivities. Although Remus had a feeling Molly'd still bring some pudding or other. The cake, however, Remus had made her swear in writing she'd leave to him to sort out. Right, right. And don't fret, Mooney. I've got all the drinks sorted. I've faith in you. Sirius looked up at Remus with a wicked smile that made Remus's heart stutter. Remember that punch I served the end of term seventh year? Remus laughed outright, his cheeks turning slightly pink. As if I could ever forget, the hangover the next morning made a man almost swear teetotal, till the end of his days. That's only because you drank nearly half of it on your own. It had just been a full moon and I wanted to dance without grimacing. Sirius barked a laugh. Well, you were grimacing later with your head in the toilet. A few pages of lamented recipes flew through the air and lightly hit Sirius on the head. Oh, you won't get away with that, Mooney. Sirius growled, grinning ear to ear as he leapt up off the floor and pounced upon Remus on the bed. They rolled in mock struggle, their lips locking on one another and arms roaming. The alarm clock on Remus's bedside table shrilled and instantly Remus waved his wand quieting it. Sirius beamed at him. It's time. All right, on the count of three. Together. I should think so. One, two, three. Remus and Sirius said together, and pushed open Harry's bedroom door. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Harry. Sirius shouted and Remus called out slightly quieter, as was his way. Harry Potter sat bolts upright in bed his always unkempt black hair standing up in even higher spikes than usual so that his lightning bolt scar was predominantly visible on his forehead. His green eyes, Lily's eyes, Sirius and Remus couldn't help but always think, were wide as an owl's as he looked around before hurriedly grabbing his glasses on his nightstand and sticking them on his face. Harry beamed at his godfather and Uncle Mooney, both still dressed in their pajamas. Sirius had thrown a t-shirt on before leaving he and Remus's room, and their arms full of wrapped presents. They came forward and set their load gently on the end of Harry's bed. Fourteen. Sirius crowed and from her cage Hedwig hooted unhappily at the noise. Harry stared at the presents now in shock. Well, don't be shy. Sirius beamed at him, 
plopping down on the blanket beside the pile. Remus moved over towards Harry's desk and sat in the chair there, leaning forward with bright eyes and a smile. Serious. I? Harry started, staring in awe at all of the birthday gifts, overwhelmed. Don't say thank you until you've opened them, Sirius said, handing Harry a box wrapped in gold and red wrapping paper. Harry began to unwrap his gifts, and his shy smile turned into a delighted grin. His eyes stayed wide, no longer in shock, but still in awe and also wonder, as he unwrapped brand new leather Quidditch gloves, an enchanted two-way mirror, a cleaning kit for his firebolt, a fresh set of gobstones, a box from honey dukes of chocolate frogs, sugar quills, and fizzing whizbees, a stack of Quidditch playbooks and a subscription receipt for Quidditch Monthly, a book specifically on the Patronus charm. A wizard poster of the Gryffindor lion roaring. When he tapped it with his wand he could turn the sound on and off, and his own photo album. Remus had made copies of some of the photos from his own album and added new ones of Harry and his friends that he'd gotten via all posts from Harry's friends over the past month. Harry said thank you and blindly so many times that eventually Sirius cut him off. Yes, yes, you're very grateful and surprised. Sirius laughed. Now let's hang that poster, shall we? Where do you reckon? Here. Or. Here. As Harry and Sirius sorted the Gryffindor poster, Remus wrote out his recipe ingredients on a long piece of parchment for Hedwig, giving her instructions for the proper shops to get them and more than enough owl treats before she took to the skies. Breakfast was chocolate pancakes and pumpkin juice, and lunch was roast beef sandwiches. Harry and Sirius spent the morning and halfway through the afternoon doing their Quidditch drills while Remus spent the entirety of the time working in the kitchen. All right, near on time to set up. Sirius called from the sky, waving Harry down to ground after he'd caught the snitch for the fifth time that day. Setting up for a wizard birthday party was even more fun than playing Quidditch with Sirius, Harry thought. Even though he couldn't use magic, Sirius still found ways to include him in setting up the decorations and table in the back garden. Sirius took Remus's small kitchen table out onto the grass and transfigured it into a long wooden one while Harry went into the garden shed to pull out a stack of miniaturized wooden chairs that Sirius enlarged with his wand. Sirius pulled out a tablecloth of red and gold, what else, and he and Harry arranged it neatly across the long table. Then there were party hats to stack out, along with poppers and streamers and glowing lanterns that floated on their own above the table. Sirius. Harry. Remus called from the kitchen and they hurried inside to take five different standing ice buckets out into the back garden. Two of them were overflowing with butterbeer. Dusk was just falling when the guests appeared out of thin air in the front garden. Sirius and Harry welcomed them to the cottage in a cacophony of greetings. Hands were shook all around. Pleasure to finally meet you, Sirius. And thank you and Remus for having us. Arthur told Sirius smiling and adjusting his glasses that were slightly askew on his face. The same, Sirius. We're so happy for you, Molly said, shifting the dish onto one hand so she could shake his hand. Nice, nice to, to meet, meet you, Sirius. Bill Weasley, Charlie Weasley, Lee Jordan, and Oliver Wood all said with wide eyes and odd voices, looking at Harry's godfather like he was a famous rock star. Well, granted, he practically was. Percy Weasley gave Sirius a business-like nod that made Sirius snort, although he tried to disguise it. 
Fred and George hurried over to Harry, but were staring at Sirius. For a moment it seemed that they were at a loss for words. Ron said that he's Padfoot, as in the Marauder's map. Padfoot. He wasn't taking the piss on us, was he, Harry? George said in a low voice as Harry greeted him. Harry grinned cheekily. He's the very Padfoot. A hero, Fred said in awe, looking almost as if he was thinking about kissing Sirius's hand when they shook. Happy birthday, Harry. Ron called, coming to give him a one-armed hug. Thanks, Ron. All right, Summer, so far. Ron was fighting the urge to stare at Sirius like his brothers. Yeah, yeah, all right. You've been so sparse in your letters. Well, actually, there is something I've been wanting to ask you, but it'll have to wait till later. Harry told him quietly. Ron raised his eyebrows but nodded. Sure, Harry, all right. Happy birthday, Harry. Hermione and Ginny chorused as they made their way out of the pack of boys and came to stand by Harry and Ron. Thanks. All right, Hermione. Ginny. Hermione nodded vigorously. I'm so excited to see Professor Lupin again. Harry grinned at her. Just Lupin. Or Remus, if you like. Hermione looked at him wide-eyed. Oh, I guess you're right. Still feels weird though, doesn't it? Ginny's cheeks were red but she was smiling boldly at Harry. How's it been living with Sirius and Lupin then? Harry smiled back at her. It's been grand. Come in, come in. Sirius told the gaggle of Weasleys, motioning to the front door. Cloaks were shed and left in the living room, and Sirius led everyone but Molly out onto the back garden, who had said aloud. And where is Remus? I've got to show him this Bakewell tart. Before wandering into the kitchen. The kitchen window showed six members of the guests getting the full tour of the cottage's newly decorated back garden. The underage wizards pounced on the butterbeers while those of age followed Sirius to the wine coolers containing alcoholic ciders. Remus watched Bill, Charlie, and Oliver follow Sirius around like they just couldn't believe him, and by the butterbeer coolers Lee, Fred, and George were staring at him equally starstruck. Remus chuckled as he watched Sirius basking in the role of hosting. Oh, there you are, Remus Lupin. So nice to finally meet you. I've heard such wonderful things about you all last year. How are you, love? Molly Weasley seized his attention as she entered the kitchen, now crowded with food, and gave him a one-armed hug that surprised him. Anything I can do. Anything need last second warming. This Bakewell tart needs it, but that'll have to wait until after the main course. How's the cake coming along? Molly said, looking around at Remus's preparations. He smiled wryly at her. Cake's splendid, and it's a surprise for everyone. She swatted his shoulder. All right, all right. Everything's sorted for now. He nodded. Think so. Then what are we still doing in here? Come on, we won't eat just yet. Remus fidgeted, glancing out the window toward where Sirius stood beside Arthur, along with an audience of enamored young men, and Harry with his circle of younger friends. Everything all right, Remus, Molly said, suddenly catching on to his apprehension, looking at him in confusion. Remus looked back at her with a shy smile. Yes, everything's fine, Molly. I just... He exhaled and straightened his shoulders. I haven't seen any of my former students since the news broke about my condition. They were very kind when it happened, but I know how attitudes toward werewolves can be. 
I just wouldn't want to take any attention away from Harry, have anything be unpleasant, I mean, for Harry's sake. Molly Weasley looked at Remus with her hands on her hips. Mr. Lupin, my children came home for holiday break unable to shut their mouths about their amazing new defense against the dark arts professor and all that they were learning. And when we had dinner their first night back in June, Ginny asked if there was a properly cited book on lycanthropy that I could help her find, and Ron, Fred and George got into a screaming match with Percy until he finally admitted to the ministry's failings on werewolves, and that's Percy, we're talking about. Lee and Oliver are equally impressed by you, no one will say a word unless it is in youthful curiosity and they won't mean anything adverse by it. Come now, Remus, she said, lacing her arm through Remus's elbow and guiding him out the back door. After a few drinks were had and the sun started to properly set, Remus and Molly used warming charms on the food and Akio dishes, glasses, and utensils to the table. Sitting everyone down at the table, it turned out, was its own affair. Sirius insisted Harry be at the head of the table, to Harry's reddened reticence. Ron and Hermione sat on either side of him. The greatest effort concerned who got the coveted seats closest to Sirius, but Sirius took it upon himself to make arrangements. Oliver, come here, lad. I need to hear about Puddlemere, and Mooney, you're across from me, he said declaratively after choosing a chair in the middle of the table. So, the arrangements ended up as such. Going down from Hermione sat Ginny, then Bill, followed by Remus, then Charlie, Percy, and Molly. On the other side, going down from Ron, sat Oliver, Sirius, Fred, George, Lee, and Arthur. Did you just call him, Mooney? Fred asked Sirius as they took their seats. Remus's face went oddly unexpressive, his eyes suddenly weary. Molly's head snapped in Fred's direction. Knowing what they all did about Remus's being a werewolf, it didn't really take a genius to realize how Remus Lupin got the nickname Mooney, and all of the implications of bringing that up for conversation. As in, Mooney on the Marauder's map, Fred continued. Remus smiled widely at him, weariness evaporated from his features, only to be replaced by a faint mischief. The very same, he said to Fred. Blimey, George exclaimed. But you gave us so much detention. Remus winked at him. Mooney and Padfoot, Fred breathed, are heroes. And don't forget Prongs, Sirius asserted pointing up the table towards Harry. That was James Potter. What? The twins exclaimed, but they'd have to hold their questions just a little longer. Sirius abruptly picked up the champagne bottle he had grabbed earlier from one of the wine coolers and popped it with a dramatic flare. Remus helped herd the glasses along the table and opened another bottle of sparkling cider. Drinks were poured and handed back, and then Sirius stood, and the table hushed. Let's raise a glass to my godson, Sirius said, proudly looking at Harry, who was smiling back at him, a little shy but mostly in unimpeded joy. Glasses were raised. Happy birthday, Harry, Sirius cried out. Happy birthday, Harry! Everyone called up the table towards Harry Potter. Glasses were clinked, and drinks were drunk, and then everyone tucked in on magnificent pork and duck roasts, baked potatoes, and Yorkshire pudding with gravy. There were also vegetables, but this was met with slightly less enthusiasm from most of the guests. Fred and George hammered as much as they could out of Sirius, 
and Remus about the Marauder's map before Sirius pounced on Oliver to talk about Puddlemere. Remus was happy to be seated beside Bill, who he could ask about his time in Egypt, and Charlie, who told him about his time in Romania with dragons. Ron told Harry all about the upcoming Quidditch World Cup near the end of August, and how his dad might get tickets and if he did, could Harry come? And Harry told him it'd be excellent if Mr. Weasley got tickets and if so, that he'd ask Sirius if he could get tickets too. Then he leaned in and told Ron what he'd been needing to ask him. Has Sirius asked your dad yet if he could come for the night here on August 9th? Harry said lowly, trying not to look like he was whispering. Hermione looked at them in confusion. Ha! Ron said around a bite of his roast. Funny you say that. Dad said Sirius asked him to come over here earlier this month but he had to stay late at work. I know, Harry said. But has he asked him again already? Ron shook his head. Don't reckon so. Reckon he'd tell me if he had, or would mention it on our way here. Whom okay? Harry said, looking down the table where Mr. Weasley sat talking to his wife across the table from him, and making a mental note to catch Mr. Weasley before the party ended. With the main course finished, Remus stood. No, no, Molly. He insisted to Mrs. Weasley as she tried to help him, and occupied all the empty plates and dinner utensils, stacking and organizing them neatly in midair by the back door in a feat that had even Percy Weasley looking rather impressed. Then Remus went into the kitchen, ushering the hovering stack of dishes in front of him. While he was gone, Sirius topped off drinks and ordered everyone to put on their party hats. Remus returned shortly with a cake platter, the cake itself covered by a tin lid, and Molly's Bakewell tart dish. He set the Bakewell tart in the center of the table, and then carried the concealed cake to Harry, setting it in front of him. Will you do the honors? Remus said in a quiet voice by Harry's ear. Harry beamed, and lifted the tin lid on the cake. It was shaped and painted in an enormous oversized perfect replica of a golden snitch complete with sugar feather wings on the side that flapped animatedly. In red letters was written Happy 14th Birthday, Harry and underneath was an edible wizard photo of Harry waving the snitch high in the air, decked out in his Gryffindor Quidditch robes, from the match against Slytherin that won Gryffindor the Quidditch Cup last year. Whoa! Ron breathed, staring at the snitch's moving feather wings. Remus pulled a set of sparking candles out of his robe and stood them up near the top of the cake smiling wryly at Harry as he summoned the green flames in his hand and used them to light the candles. Then he straightened and looked down the table toward Sirius, who was waiting for his cue. Sirius raised his hand in mock conduction, and the table erupted in a boisterous round of happy birthday. After the cake and tart, the party spilled away from the table and out onto the back garden. Sirius lit a small campfire and summoned Remus's record player and the guests sat in chairs or on the grass in smaller clumps talking excitedly about their summer, or Quidditch, or politics. Well, that was the adults, or magical creatures, or any number of other things while David Bowie or the Beatles played faintly in the background. At one point, Harry saw Arthur Weasley stand and head over to one of the wine coolers for another cider, and Harry jumped up from where he sat in a circle with Ron, Hermione, and Ginny. Butterbeer he asked them hurriedly. Sure. Ron answered him and Harry nodded, trying not to walk too fast towards the coolers. Hi, Mr. Weasley, Harry said as he came up to him. 
Hiya, Harry. Mr. Weasley turned to him, using his wand to open the bottle of cider. Happy birthday. Excellent party. Thanks, Harry said, although he knew he really hadn't had much to do with it being such a great party at all. Um, I had a question for you. Mr. Weasley looked at him curiously. Ask away. I was wondering if you could come back here on August 9th and be on guard or whatever for the night. A knowing look came to Mr. Weasley's face. I was wondering when Sirius would ask me again. Didn't expect you to, though. I told Sirius I'd help him figure something out. And I just wanted to know if you could or not, so that I could have time to think of something else. Harry said quickly. If you can't, that's okay. I didn't mean to. I'll think of something, maybe I can owl Dumbledore and maybe Professor McGonagall. Mr. Weasley put a hand on Harry's shoulder. Hey, hey, no need, Harry. I'll make sure I'm not working late. I'll be here, okay? Earlier this month was a busy time, summer just starting up, loads of free times for recently of age wizards to get up to pranking muggles or charming things haphazardly. I promise I'll make it this time. Harry exhaled in relief. Thank you, Mr. Weasley. Mr. Weasley patted him on the shoulder and then stepped back. I'll owl Sirius with details later. Mr. Weasley turned and walked back to his seat at the campfire. Harry fetched him and Ron a butterbeer, his pretense, and rejoined his friends. After parting hugs and handshakes and promises to write and see each other soon, and maybe see you at the Quidditch Cup, Ron told Harry, the three inhabitants of Hope's Cottage went back inside. Harry offered to help his godfather and Uncle Mooney clean but they sent him off to enjoy his new presence and bade him good night. Harry Potter went up to his bedroom thinking this had been his best birthday ever, and he had to read his new Quidditch book before bed. Sirius and Remus retreated back outside to the still-roaring campfire. Remus summoned a picnic blanket from the garden shed and lay down eagerly on the blanket, arms behind his head, looking up at the starry night sky and the waxing gibbous moon. Sirius grabbed the last full bottle of champagne and copied suit, laying down beside Remus. All right, Mooney, Sirius asked him, passing him the bottle. Remus propped himself up on his elbows, taking a drink. I'm more than all right, Sirius. Me too, Sirius agreed. Fun crowd, the Weasleys and those boys. Whom you mean your fan club? Remus said raising an eyebrow and smiling wryly. Sirius laughed. I'd have said it was a shared fan club. Remus scoffed. Mooney. Sirius tisked his tongue. Those kids respect the hell out of you. They look up to you like, well, like I do. Sirius's cheeks, already pink from drink, blushed scarlet. Remus shook his head slightly shy and said, You know, I was thinking at the table tonight how I almost said no to taking the Dada job. You wouldn't have. Remus looked at Sirius with a soberness that did not really match how much he'd drunk that night. Being back at Hogwarts, all the memories, after everything that happened, what I thought I knew had happened. I'll admit, the idea scared me. But of course, I had to take the opportunity to teach Harry. To see him, to get to know him. Remus bowed his head. Every day I'm grateful I had the courage to say yes. Sirius used one hand to lift Remus's chin. You always have the courage. You never would have said no, Mooney. Remus took another drink from the champagne bottle and passed it to Sirius, smiling proudly now. 
One day, you'll have to ask Harry to show you his Patronus. It's a stag, Sirius. Sirius's eyes lit up. Tomorrow then. He has to show me tomorrow. Remus chuckled. Sure, Padfoot. Sirius took a drink of the champagne and inched closer to Remus. I've never seen yours, you know. Remus raised an eyebrow. Go on then, Professor Lupin. Sirius said grinning, his dark eyes shining silver in the moonlight. Remus pushed himself up to his feet, stepping off the blanket. He looked at Sirius as he pulled his wand out from the sleeve of his jumper. Remus Lupin had many memories to pull from which would have summoned his Patronus. Most would have been from the summer so far in Hope's cottage with Sirius and Harry, and a few would have been his time teaching Harry at Hogwarts. One would have been seeing him for the first time, and another would have been watching Harry cast his fully-fledged Patronus while riding his broom, catching the snitch immediately after. And of course, there were the countless memories of his youth. But there was one recent memory in particular that came to his mind. It was of two young men, worn and weary. One was sitting in a chair and the other was on his knees, arms wrapped around the man in prisoner's rags. One man had just discovered that his love had not betrayed him or his friends. I love you. Sirius Black had told Remus Lupin for the first time in thirteen years. Remus cast his Patronus wordlessly. A great silver shaggy dog bounded across the back garden, barking excitedly. It ran in a circle before coming up to the blanket. Its spectral tongue licked the side of Sirius's face, the sensation like a cool breeze, before it disappeared into mist. Remus slid back down onto the blanket beside Sirius, who was sitting cross-legged and staring at him with eyes slightly wet. Remus looked up at him. Can't be too surprising, can it? Sirius set down the champagne bottle and lay down beside Remus, using one hand to cusp Remus's cheek, the one with the faint scar from earlier that month. Then he leaned in and kissed him deeply. Remus responded in kind, wrapping his arms around Sirius's back and pulling him closer. Upstairs in his bedroom, Harry Potter had been sitting on his bed reading his Quidditch playbook by lamplight when he heard what he thought was Patfoot barking. Curious, he went quickly to the window in time to see the Patronus lick Sirius's face, and watch Remus tuck his wand back inside his sleeve and join Sirius on the blanket. Harry realized then that he'd never seen Remus cast a fully formed Patronus the entirety of his time at Hogwarts. He'd only cast a shapeless mist. Curiosity overcame Harry, and after three years of being friends with Hermione, he was empowered to pull out the book on the Patronus charm he had gotten earlier that morning. The first chapter was an introduction to the charm, and the second one was focused on the memories behind conjuring a Patronus. Harry pushed up his glasses and read. As previously stated, the Patronus charm requires a happy memory, an overwhelmingly happy memory, to take full corporeal form. The happy memory must be so strong in fact, that most casters draw upon happy memories of love. Memories based on love, however, can be tricky. Memories of a loved one that's been lost, for example, mean that the memory is now coated in sorrow, but usually such is the nature of a memory based on love, that a sufficiently powerful witch or wizard will still be able to cast a corporeal Patronus even if the love is unrequited or lost. However, a memory based on happiness and love combined ensures the strongest Patronus. Harry still felt unsatisfied. 
he leaved to the next chapter on the fully formed versus semi-formed Patronuses. A corporeal Patronus is strongest against Dementors and, once trained and if prepared, a witch or wizard will always be able to cast a corporeal Patronus after their first successful attempt. However, it is possible for a witch or wizard to consciously avoid casting a fully formed Patronus, if they don't want their spirit animal to be recognized by others, or if they don't like the shape it takes. Hmm, Harry thought, still not enough. He turned to the next chapter on Patronus animals. A corporeal Patronus takes the form of your subconscious. It is a representation of oneself. The only time a Patronus may change shape is when a person has been altered so significantly that their self becomes linked to a new form. This, as far as records show, has only ever occurred because of true love. If a witch or wizard meets the true love, they may be so affected that their Patronus changes shape to be a representation of their love. Harry set the book down. He took off his glasses, turned off his lamp and had quite a few revelations. Remus had chosen deliberately not to cast his corporeal Patronus throughout his time at Hogwarts. He had done that because even after thinking Sirius betrayed him, and even with his memories tainted, Remus's Patronus took the form of Padfoot. Harry's heart stuttered for a moment when his mind finally latched onto the last striking discovery. It seemed, at least in the wizarding world, that true love existed. It was real, and Harry was witnessing it firsthand. Chapter 8 As the sky began to darken on August 9th and the sun sank just below the hills, Arthur Weasley had still not arrived nor sent word and Harry Potter felt like he was going to throw up from anxiety. Harry, Remus murmured from the sofa. Harry, seated on the carpet, glanced away from staring out the window. I'll be all right. I managed alone for many years, Remus said gently. His face was ghostly pale, the faint lines and scars starkly prominent. Sirius, sitting on the sofa beside Remus, made a whining sound deep in his throat at that reminder and Remus reached for Sirius's fidgeting hands, stilling them in Sirius's lap. Since Harry had told them he knew of their relationship, they still had not shown any physical affection in front of him besides what they had already done, touching knees or shoulders, hugging, holding hands. Harry was sheepishly grateful. They were his godfather and former professor after all, and he would have felt slightly awkward seeing either of them kiss anyone. Well, Harry thought, looking at the two men in front of him, now he'd want to have a mighty row if anyone but Remus kissed Sirius, or if anyone but Sirius kissed Remus. It was probably against the rules of the universe or something, Harry thought, now that he knew what Remus's Patronus meant. Suddenly, Harry caught on to the fact that it was Remus comforting them right now, and that would not do. I'll be at Hogwarts next moon, Harry said quickly, and then you both can run free in the Forbidden Forest. Remus smiled faintly at him, trying to give Harry assurance and credit that his attempt was appreciated, but the next moment Remus's muscles spasmed and he exhaled sharply. It's almost time, Remus said quietly through gritted teeth. Sirius opened his mouth to say to wait just a little longer before the cellar but Remus shook his head. His eyes were looking slightly desperate and he began moving his arm around Sirius's shoulders. Harry felt a little dizzy. Sirius felt like he was going to give Arthur Weasley the mightiest row Sirius had been a part of since before Azkaban. 
Remus and Sirius stood. There was sweat now on Remus's brow, and his legs and his worn trousers were shaking. Just then the front door opened with a clang and Arthur Weasley stood panting in the doorway. I'm so sorry, terribly late, did I make it? His slightly reddened face blanched at the sight of Remus and Sirius standing in the living room, Remus looking seconds away from transforming. Excellent. Sirius crowed, his face breaking into a huge smile, tightening his grip around Remus's waist and beginning to tow him towards the front door. It was the closest way to get to the edge of the wards so Remus could transform out of the boundaries and the wolf would have all of the quiet wooded Wales countryside to run and run. Thank you, Arthur. Remus, his voice no more than a breath, said to Mr. Weasley as he and Sirius brushed past him out of the door. Harry and Arthur Weasley watched the two men disappear at the shielded magic boundary in the deepening twilight, and Harry took an exhale that became a strangled half-laugh of relief. Arthur looked at Harry. Cut it rather close, did I'll have to properly apologize in the morning to them both. I'm sorry I almost broke my promise, Harry. Harry smiled at him and clambered shakily to his feet. But you made it, that's all that matters. Thanks. Tea. Harry had no idea really how to make tea in the cottage, seeing as he never drank it, and Remus or Sirius always used their wands to boil the kettle. But he led Arthur into the kitchen and pointed out where all the tea makings were. Arthur happily busied himself and soon he and Harry were seated at the kitchen table. Arthur with a steaming cup and Harry with a bottle of butterbeer left over from his birthday party. You seem to be taking to your new home well, Arthur told Harry politely. Harry grinned. It's brilliant. Arthur shifted a little uneasily in his seat. Must be tough though, nights like these. I mean, you're not a boy really any longer, but still. These last words were spoken in a thoughtful undertone. Harry felt suddenly uneasy. What do you mean by that? Arthur's eyes widened as he realized how Harry may have interpreted him. Oh no, I have nothing against you living with Remus considering the, ah, uh, lycanthropy, but I just mean to say, it's not easy to see someone you care about go through that. Harry furrowed his brow. It's not easy for him to go through that. Quite right, quite right. Arthur agreed quickly. But Harry didn't really feel too affronted. He knew what Arthur meant. But yeah, he admitted. I mean that's why Sirius and my dad and, you know, that's why they became anime guy. Arthur's eyes lit up in wonder. I did manage to get a rather garbled version from Ron. How they managed it as fifth years I'll never know. Too clever, really. But it rather makes a difference, does it? I mean, Sirius certainly seemed ecstatic he could join him. Harry nodded. Oh yeah. The wolf and the dog and the stag and the rat, they were like a pack. But Sirius told me the dog and the wolf always got on the best. Arthur smiled. I would imagine so. Sides, they get on so well as men. Harry's cheeks colored slightly. Yeah they do, he said, trying to make it sound casual, taking a drink of his butterbeer. Harry had made a promise to Remus and Sirius that no one would know about their relationship from Harry. It must be on their terms. Thankfully, Arthur didn't seem to notice. Right then, I've got some news for you, although Ron's letter should arrive in the morning. It's what kept me so late tonight. Harry's eyes widened, hardly daring to hope. I've got tickets to the Quidditch World Cup, Arthur said with a huge grin, 
his eyes becoming a little wistful and dreamy. No way, Harry exclaimed. For all of you. Well, Bill and Charlie are back to work, and Percy's about to start his position at the ministry. He's interning with Barty Crouch, head of the Department of International Magical Cooperation. He'll be at the cup, in fact. Molly said she'll use the empty nest to get some rather desperately needed organizing done, so it'll be Fred, George, Ron, Ginny, Hermione, and I going. I'll speak with your godfather in the morning to see if he can arrange tickets for you. He'll be coming with you, I expect, wouldn't miss a chance to see the cup, right? Too right, Harry said, copying one of Sirius's favorite phrases. And Remus will come too. Arthur nodded. Well, with the two of them accompanying you I am fairly certain it'll be safe. And there's loads of security at the cup, and you can all stay with us in my colleague Perkins' tent. He's letting me borrow it for the occasion. Harry raised his eyebrow in the way Remus did when he was confused. All of us in one tent. Arthur grinned. A wizard tent, Harry, enchanted on the inside. There's plenty of room, I assure you. Harry grinned, already eager to see what that would be like, but then got distracted by all of his other questions about the Quidditch World Cup, the teams playing, Ireland versus Bulgaria, where it would take place on an enchanted shielded hill, much like the magic around Hope's Cottage, in England, how many people would be there, the stadium could hold 100,000 spectators. As the clock was chiming 2200 hours, Arthur asked Harry if he'd like to go up to bed and he'd keep watch in the living room in case anything was amiss, as Sirius had bid him to do. But Harry shook his head. I'll sleep on the sofa. Wake me when they get back, he asked Mr. Weasley. Arthur was standing by the bookshelf, fascinated by all the muggle books on Remus's shelf, and turned to look quizzically at Harry. You sure, Harry? Yes, Harry insisted, taking the blankets left discarded on the sofa by Remus, and folding them up like Sirius had done the month before. I'll be right back, he told Arthur before going up to his bedroom to grab the blanket off his bed and his Quidditch playbook. When he came back down and settled himself on the sofa, Mr. Weasley watched him curiously over the pages of the book he'd picked, a muggle history book on the kingdoms of Britain. The two of them read by lamplight, the fireplace still warmly lit, and Arthur thought he'd never seen a fourteen-year-old boy fold blankets before. What was that about? Harry fell asleep with his book on his chest, and Arthur kept one eye on the window and one eye on his book all night. The sky was well lit and sunrise well into its brilliant shades of pink when Arthur saw the two figures of Sirius Black and Remus Lupin appear in the front garden. Sirius's arm was around Remus's waist and Remus's arm on Sirius's shoulders exactly as they had left, but they were laughing now. Their eyes were twinkling and Remus swatted at Sirius's nose playfully, and Sirius barked a louder laugh. Arthur Weasley had never expected to see a werewolf the morning after his transformation laughing. He realized his mouth was open and he closed it quickly. He stood and went over to shake Harry's shoulder and the boy spluttered awake, alert in an instant. The front door opened and Sirius and Remus staggered in, their laughter ringing in the quiet morning. Harry stood up quickly from the sofa, pulling off his blanket and putting it on one of the armchairs before turning to appraise his guardians. All right, Arthur, Sirius asked with a wide grin. Arthur nodded, smiling back. 
Right as rain. Nothing amiss. I am so sorry I was so late last night. Not at all. Not at all. Sirius replied easily. Remus unwrapped his arm from Sirius's shoulders as he sank onto the sofa, looking at Arthur gratefully. He pulled the folded blankets resting on the arm around his body. Despite his wool jumper and trousers, he was shivering. There were shadows under his eyes, and his face looked rather sallow and peaky. But there was light and warmth in his brown eyes. Thank you, Arthur. Remus told him for the second time, his voice hoarse. Of course. Arthur told him with deep feeling. He had never seen the toll a transformation alone took on Remus, but he hazarded a guess about it based on everyone's reaction to his presence tonight, watching over Harry so serious could be Padfoot. Harry had excused himself silently and was returning from the kitchen with a glass of water, handing it to Remus. Ta, Harry, Remus told him with a smile, taking it, draining the water quickly, and handing the glass back to Harry. Sirius clapped Arthur on the shoulder. You must be knackered. Actually, I've some news that's kept me quite awake, Arthur said smiling. Well, do tell, Sirius said, guiding Arthur into the kitchen to make tea and give Remus some peace and quiet. Hiya, Uncle Mooney, Harry said softly in the living room as Remus lay his body down onto the sofa. An almost blissful smile spread on Remus's tired face even as he shivered among the blankets and the fire's warmth. Hiya, Harry, Remus murmured, looking up at him. All right here, Harry asked. Oh yes, Remus nodded, his eyes already drooping closed, and Harry left him to join the two men in the kitchen talking about the Quidditch World Cup. Finite Thanks for listening to this text-to-speech podfic composed by Burning Aurora.